Welcome to Draw One Last Breath Podcast. My name is Matt. And I'm Paul. Welcome to episode 52. On this episode, we are reviewing Sea Fever, latest film on VOD and to buy. We, are also, we also have our something to screen about section that we'll chat about later. Our movie from the vault this episode is The Fly. And also, we have a very special guest on this podcast today. It is John from Alley Cat Graphics. How are you doing, buddy? Hey, you all right? Hi, guys. How's it going? Hello, Good. listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Good to have you on, man. Good to have you on. Really glad. Loving, to loving life right now. You know, it's all good. Where are you calling from, John? I'm from Essex. We up the Essex. You're, you're from around these parts, aren't you, originally? No, it's Matt's wife is. Oh, is it? Yeah. Proper Essex, girl. <laughs> Yeah, because I've heard you slag off Essex before. <laughs> <laughs> is that one of the things on your? Is that one of the things on your list? Is it? <laughs> <laughs> one of them. <laughs> I'm actually no. I think Raynham's considered a, a a Greater London Borough. Actually, apparently, that's what it says on the letter. When I, from the Keep kidding yourself, mate. <laughs> <laughs> so, how how's lockdown going for you, John? It's going all right. I'm quite enjoying it, to be honest. And I shouldn't be, because it's a horrible thing, this uh, virus epidemic. But as I said, it's, it's, it's nice just to have a little bit of time, you know, off work and just to kick back and just do stuff. You know, I've been, as I say, I've been like watching films I've, I've, I've had on the shelf for years that I've never watched. I've been reading, I've been doing artwork, and I've just been enjoying walking the dog and having a bit of relaxing time you know I just feel like sometimes we do work a little bit hard too hard and it's nice to put the brakes on you know do you feel like um you with your art and stuff you you're being able to be more creative and stuff with it it puts you in a much better place mentally I think because you're not you haven't got the pressure then where I'm where I'm working nine to five at my normal job then coming home and then having to do artwork and then obviously having to maintain a sort of like momentum to get stuff out and keep people interested it, it, it can be a bit of a bind you feel like you know there's not really much time for yourself and where you're more relaxed there's the pressure's been lifted so you you do feel more free to do more stuff and sit and think about stuff instead of like just being like a machine and just going at it you know so i think it does free you up in that sense and then you 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 take more care as well. A lot of stuff I've been doing this this time when I've been when I've been off is just uh, if I see mistakes, I'm like, oh okay, not to freak out, then just go back and correct stuff, and you know, it just makes you a little bit more for me anyway. It makes me better better as an artist. I think without that pressure, some people might work better under the feel like they've got to crack on and stuff, but mm. I don't know, I don't, that doesn't work for me. To be honest, I'm quite liking this uh, newfound freedom, as it were. Mm. Good. Have you been uh, Have you been working on anything new that you can talk about? Uh, yeah. Um, well, some of the stuff I've shared. I've, I did a, a, a Chucky the other day. I think you see. I think that's going to be a cushion. <laughs> yeah. Cool. I think. Yeah. I'm going to do a double sided cushion of Chucky because the cush- cushions are quite good. To- quite popular um i think as i say one side of what i've posted the other day where it looks relatively normal and the other side i'm done i'm going to do where he's all mangled where he's facing that he's all mangled you know at the end when he gets like ripped up and stuff awesome. so, yeah. <laughs> definitely um, a good choice there for people <laughs> obviously for people that might be listening that don't know what you do what what sort of stuff do you do you sell 
Uh, we just sell like a bunch of like fan art and merch for the horror genre, really. Anything 80s, all the retro stuff. Um, yeah, we do all sorts of things like pins, cushions, posters. Colouring books. Colouring books. <laughs> They're really cool as well. Yeah. Yeah, some really... well, they were rare, and I, I've, I've, I was tempted the other day. I saw some on eBay, and I was like, "Oh, am I going to bid? Am I going to bid on eBay?" <laughs> <laughs> they weren't coloured in, so you know, <laughs> I wouldn't yeah, want to buy coloured in. It's funny since the uh, since the lockdown, um, we've we've gone we've sold everything in terms of colouring books. We had boxes and boxes of them, and they've just they've just been going like hotcakes. Like, you want to get into puzzles? Um, I was thinking about doing a puzzle, to be honest. <laughs> I would so lap that up. I would, I would be like, probably buy a that. puzzle, actually. I'd love a good, <laughs> a good alien puzzle or something like that. That'd be cool. Oh, oh, oh. Well, I, I was thinking, because I've got this one, one print where it's like, um, it's all the horror characters and they're all at the, at, at the graveyard and all, sta- all of them are standing around like the... Uh, I love that. That's the awesome. VHS tape in the grave and stuff. And I think that would make a good puzzle because everyone's in it, you know what I mean? That's a good idea. Yeah, I, I'd definitely, definitely be up for one of those. That'd be my Christmas present sorted, then, Matt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Quality. Well, it's good to have you on, John. Really, really glad to finally have you on because we've been talking about it for ages. Because uh, we yeah. met you. Obviously, we've had you on the podcast before for an interview. Um, we've been friends with you. We, we like to say you're a friend now. Obviously. Um, yeah. <laughs> but it's it's good to see you at the cons when you normally are at the com- comic cons and all that. Uh, obviously, we don't know what's happened going forward, but fingers crossed we'll have somebody end of the year. So go check John's um, wares out, if you will, um, because there are, there's some awesome stuff, loads of really, really cool stuff to get. So good to have you on, mate. Should we crack on Thanks. with some news? Well, yeah, well, I also wanted to say that I finally watched Spring. So Justin Benson, um, I finally watched Spring. It popped up wow. on um, Amazon Prime. So I watched that in the in the last two weeks. Fucking cracking cracking movie. You were right, Matt. Worth a watch. I, I would give it a second watch as well. Is that good? Quite quite naughty in in places as well. From Benson and Moorhead. Benson and Moorhead. Fucking cracking. What about you? You watched anything any horror in the last couple of weeks, Matt? Um, I haven't actually. Um, I've been busy doing other things, unfortunately. Just um, kind of fitting other stuff in around it. What about you, John? Have you watched anything this week? Um, this week, yeah, I've been um, I've been on a bit of a David Lynch marathon. Nice. I've literally gone through all of his films, bar Eraserhead, which I just can't find anywhere. It's not on streaming. I have a VHS copy upstairs, but the tape is so knackered and old, it's just not worth watching. <laughs> but yeah, I've just been consuming everything David Lynch recently. I just watched Twin Peaks. Season three. Okay. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen Twin Peaks. I had that. I had the box set on my shelf for the longest time, and I got sick just after Christmas, and I couldn't move, so I was in bed with the flu, and I just binged season one and two, and then I was like, all right, and then I had to go back to work, and I was like, oh, I'll watch three when I get to it, and I watched it a couple of weeks ago, and as soon as it finished, I went back and rewatched it the whole season. It's, it's probably the best TV show I've ever seen. One of them, I would say. See, my mum was a massive fan, like, and I and I I, I sort of like hold my mum in high regard in some respects. She did get me into the Stephen King, 
she likes her horror and stuff like that. So I've always been tempted, but I've never, um, I've never bit the bullet. Do you reckon yeah. it's worth it? I think so. I think, yeah, it's weird because when I first bought the box set, I saw it cheap in CX and I was like, oh, I'll just pick that up. And, you know, because I was always an inch fan anyway. And because I don't really get time to watch TV shows because they're quite time consuming, you know. Mm. And, and I remember just sticking it on one morning when I was drunk. Well, I had a hangover and I thought, oh, I can't be bothered to move, so I'll just watch Twin Peaks. And I remember the first episode was like a bit of a chore to get through because it's quite, it's because it's made in 1990 and it seems quite old. But what I didn't, what I didn't realize at the time is that a lot of it is kind of like it's taking the piss out of shows at that time. So it's like a melodrama, it's like riffing on them, sort of like these soap operas that were popular back then. So it's got a lot of like cheesy dialogue mm-hmm. and like like over, overacting and stuff. And I thought, this is really weird, like really bad. Like I'm just thinking it was of the 90s. But watching it again recently, I realised it's just Lynch just taking the piss out of general TV, what's happening at that time. So it's like, it's very meta in that way, you know what I mean? But then it just kind of sucked me in. You just like feel really like in love with all the characters and you forget you're watching something that's by David Lynch. It just feels like a like a like a drama almost until something really horrific happens or there's like something really weird and supernatural and then you're like oh what the fuck <laughs> and it just got completely takes a different turn you know so oh, it's well, like it might be difficult to get into at first but I'd say stick with it and then it's really like satisfying once it starts paying off you know all right I might give that a shout actually you know that's my it's not for everybody <laughs> it's not for everyone but uh, yeah it's like. Especially so, season three. Season three, like I just watched recently, was so mental. I, I can't even put it into words. I can't even describe how crazy this. It, you've never seen a, a thing structured like, like it, it's all like jumping from parallel dimensions and. <laughs> yeah, it goes from like this like quaint little town, and you're like, it's like the forces of good and evil battling across the intergalactic dimensions, and it's it's, it's mental. Yeah. <laughs> The only Lynch experience I think I've got under my belt is Mul- Mulholland Drive. Right. And uh, that is just fucking weird. And yeah. Fuck as well. But, or did he do LA, LA Confidential as well? No, he didn't do LA Confidential. No, I can't remember what yeah. he did. But yeah. Lost Highway, isn't it? Lost Highway. I haven't seen Lost Highway. So yeah, so I might have to get in get into a bit of Lynch, actually. I need yeah. a new director to sort of... I like... think it's easier now as well, because like, a lot of these films are, at, at first, as you say, like, like Mulholland Drive and stuff, where they're just really weird. I might have watched that back in the day and just wrote it off as just being, oh, it's just being a bit weird and stuff. But now with the adverse of the internet, I was like listening to like fan theories and stuff, and then people saying, well, I think it's about this, or I think it's about that. And I was like, oh, well, yeah, that makes sense. And then it makes these films like, like more interesting. And the more Lynch you watch the more things start to marry up. So like more, I was watching the Twin Peaks, the more Mulholland drives seem to make sense and stuff. They're all like jigsaw puzzles. And they all seem, he's like using the same pieces like all all the time. And you're like, oh, he's doing the same thing here as he did in that. So that means this and this means that. And it's like, yeah, I'd like, I've I've gone so far down the rabbit hole with Twin Peaks. I'm like literally like eating up every fan theory. I'm I'm halfway through a book. Oh man, yeah. I can feel it. I can feel the passion, mate. You've sold me. <laughs> Fucking there, man. That's awesome. Um, okay, the Lynch Lynch expression. I think that might be coming my way. So yes, um, that's, that's what I've been watching. I've just been eating up everything David Lynch as as, as I can at the moment. <laughs> nice. 
Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, let's get into some fucking news then. What's been going on in the bloody, in the world of horror? Not much, but you know, little bits <laughs> and bobs. Um, I'll, I'll kick it off, Matt, if you want. Go on. Do it. I've got a little bit. Um, first thing I want to say to you boys is um, Scream 5. What do we think about this possibility? What's the John, fucking point? Go first. <laughs> what, me? I don't know. Uh, John. Oh, go on, John. John's what are you thinking? Um, I, I, be honest. I'm not bothered, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not, I think I, I wasn't really a fan of Scream 4, to be fair. Nah, not at all. No. And even the, even the the TV series recently, I don't think it did it for me, to be honest. I agree. Like the first two, maybe the third one, but the first two was Sidney Prescott, David Arquette, and you know, um, what's the face, Courtney Cox, and th- those three were were absolutely fantastic. And I think it, I think it's when they killed um, Matey Boy off. What's his name? Uh, the geek. Oh, uh, Randy. As soon as they killed Randy off, I was like, ah, that sort of took away the meta for me. So, I don't know. And I, I know that they've spoken to Niv Campbell and stuff like that. Mm, they're in talks, yeah. I, I don't know. For me, it's not something I'm kind of like, well, okay. I'm going to be that guy. Sorry, boys. But I think that I, I do, do I want to see more Scream? Yeah, I'm with John. I'm not really bothered. But seeing who might be doing it, the same guys that did Ready or Not, it could be in some good hands and it could be really kind of tongue-in-cheek and quite funny in places. And I don't think they're going to wreck it. I hope they don't wreck it, wreck it. I'm trying to be positive here, but I don't know. It'd be nice to have something for people that didn't get to kind of experience all that Scream stuff in the heyday. You know, you've got to think about a new generation, I suppose. Is it all no, yeah, done? Yeah, Can, there is that. I mean, I always enjoy watching slasher films at the cinema, and the whole point of slasher films is that they're repetitive, isn't mm. it? They don't really change. Yeah, yeah. So it's like I know everyone, a lot of people kicked up about the new Halloween and stuff, and it well, the last one that came out, and so oh, how long they're going to go on for? And 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 I'm I'm now of the opinion that they can go on forever. I don't care. Mm. You know, I'd watch the yeah. one every time they bring one out. It's not you know, it, I just enjoy the formula so much. That I don't care if he keeps surviving every time. <laughs> you know what I mean? it's, the thing is, John, you've hit the, the head, the nail on the head there. Because what I kind of find weird is when I was younger, I didn't really care. I didn't really give a shit. I was like, give me all, all the freaking Friday films, give me all the Halloweens, and I watched each one of them all the time. And I didn't really go, that's crap. I didn't like that one. I don't want them to make any more. I was just give me more, give me more, give me more. Now I'm so more more opinionated. I shouldn't really care. It's just like doing the pod, Matt. Like at the moment, it's like going back and doing the '80s and stuff. Like when we visited the slashers that I missed in the '80s, like Sleepaway Camp, The Mutilator. You know, it makes me want to watch more. I want to see some more hooks in the puss. I want to <laughs> see some fucking. I want to see some dodgy kills, man. That's all I want. I need to see some dodgy new ways to kill. Like we've got terrified. Yeah, you want to see more cock. <laughs> fine that's fine but yeah so that's that's good man um i got some um american horror story news maybe an update more than the news we obviously know there's probably there's going to be an episode, a season 10 um but macaulay culkin i think we spoke about a couple of episodes ago is on board for the the latest season but it's funny i saw a tw- i saw a little instagram shot earlier about what the director pitched 
to actually get him to do um, the movie. And it was an erotic sex scene with Kathy Bates, of all things. Oh, yeah, I think I read that somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, that just hooked him on board. That was, that was the pitch, you know, just, uh, I'll, um, you know, he, he said he doesn't usually talk about the, the fuck, what the movie's about, um, the, the TV series about with Macaulay Culkin. He just said, look, you're going to get an erotic sex scene with Kathy Bates. And then Macaulay Culkin went, yeah, I'm on board. That sounds like the role I was born, born for. <laughs> Brilliant. So yeah, I'm all for that. And the last bit of news, I don't know if I mentioned, and might, this might be old, Daft Punk is set to compose a score for the new Dario Argento film. Did you hear about this? I've heard about it, but I think since that apparently it's all gone to shit, but that might oh, be just... <laughs> <laughs> well, I knew that his daughter was going to appear in it, because yeah. Asia Argento usually pops up in it. But I, think that'd be, I think that'd be cool if Daft Punk do a, do a horror movie like that, synthesised sort of uh, music. I think they could pull that one off. That's it. That is it from me in terms of uh, news. You got anything? Um, The only thing I've got um, really was I just wanted to to chat about the new Twilight season season that I haven't even seen season one yet because we haven't got it over here. But apparently some of the directors have been kind of let out the bag of who's doing season two. Uh, Benson and Moorhead got an episode, which would be interesting. And also J.D. Dallard that did that Sweetheart movie. He's, oh, cool. I like that. He also did a cop, uh, one of the episodes of uh, Outsider, the Stephen King series. I've, uh, got access to, I've got access to The Outsider now. Cool. So I'm going to have to, that's another thing I'm going to have to peg for the next couple of weeks. But yeah, I, I want to see season one, um, obviously, before I see season two, but already they've got some really good people on board. So that, that could be interesting. Oh, I meant to say as well, I saw, <laughs> I saw something pop up on Amazon Prime. Um, and I'm sure John will appreciate this. So I don't know if you see, <laughs> but I don't know if you remember, John. We did um, a film called Dead Heat a couple of episodes ago. Yes. Uh, have you seen it? I've not. I've wanted to for a long time. I haven't got it's, to see it. It's now on available for free on Amazon Prime if you have that subscription. Oh, nice one. Yes. So I saw it because I, I know <laughs> it is on YouTube for free. But <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> uh, you know what happened with Amazon Prime? Suddenly, just random shit you just scroll and scroll and scroll and some beautiful thing will just pop up but yeah dead heat i couldn't believe it, it yeah definitely up worth a watch mate if you if you've got a spare like hour and 20 minutes and you just yeah. want a it's old... one, yeah it's been one i've been meaning to to get around for a long time i just keep forgetting oh, yeah. right. fucking stupid movie man loved it <laughs> <laughs> um what about you john you got any, any news or anything you anything you've seen really i don't yeah, I didn't think about bringing any news along with me. Sorry. <laughs> That's, That's why right. we, barely, we barely scrape it anyway. <laughs> At the moment, it's just all about cancelled movies and postponed yeah. movies and all that Oh, stuff. other than, I don't know if you saw in the news, I don't know if this was a thing. I saw that all Universal films might not be coming back to cinemas. Oh, yeah. yeah. What do you think about that then, Matt? Well, um, you know, I'm quite passionate about the cinemas still surviving. Um, it, I think it's a bold, a really bold move. Apparently, not all cinemas are on board with it, but I think it's a bold move. But it, you can't just take it lying down. It has something drastic has to happen because, you know, Universal have kind of put this um, foothold in of doing it the pe- the first people to do it, and the the thing with people first time doing things, it kind of leads others to do the same. 
and I don't I personally don't want cinema to be destroyed completely because I think there's certain you know there's still a place for it um and I get that it is expensive going to the cinema in certain places and certain things um but I, I kind of like think I'm 50 50 I'm kind of on the fence I'm kind of like you know yeah what do you think I, I, yeah I mean they say the cinema cinemas are dying out and stuff but I think what if this lockdown has taught us that people are more than ever itching to go outside and do stuff so it's it's a weird one. It is a it's a bit of a shock than when they revealed the numbers though. I didn't think that cinema chains took fifty percent of what the movie makes. Mm. I always thought the cinema chains were getting shafted. Well, if it comes to Star Wars or anything Disney, they do get shafted. Fifty fifty percent is quite a lot. So if a film you know makes hundred million, you know it's really in theory made two hundred million, doesn't it? Really. So yeah. and apparently on streaming, they get to keep it all. So. And apparently, and a troll two or whatever it was, what the stream recently has smashed records, isn't it? I think live streaming, so it could be the beginning of the end. Hopefully not, but 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 with the isolation thing, um, people really haven't got a choice. Like I, I got troll trolls two for my kids because I was like, well, there's nothing else on. Well, there is loads of other stuff on, but they wanted to watch it, so I was like, yeah, I'll buy it. It's cheap and taking more to the cinema, you know. Yeah. Um, but I just don't know. Maybe I think the numbers are overinflated because of the lockdown. Uh, you know, cinema's uh, not going to go away for good. Like we know, we I hope not. I won't. I don't. You know, maybe I don't be. know how long they. I don't know how long they can survive. Like just maybe the rent gets binned off. But like we're always going to have some kind of independent cinema. Like you know, Prince Charles Cinema and stuff like that ain't going to go anywhere. Um, those no, that's, not, that's London. I know. Those <laughs> <are not. laughs> But we'll see. We'll see. Have to wait. I don't think we're going to be allowed in cinemas this well, year. I've got, I've got my projector ordered on Amazon, mate. So I'm going to have my own <laughs> cinema. Fair enough. Can't wait. Get us out on the uh, yeah, veranda. Maybe cinemas will go really, really niche in the future, like you know, like horror specific. A well, horror specific <laughs> cinema. <laughs> I'm, I'm not being funny, but they, they obviously have to get some sort of um, some bums on seats. So I think they might, you know, to get. The, the revenue through the door, I think they are going to have to A, revisit classics, um, and B, they might have to take a punt on more indie films that are already done and in the can that maybe have, would have gone on to straight to VOD. Might, they, they might give it a chance in cinemas. Well, we've got New Mutant, New Mutants is available for digital download, uh, I think, in the, in the States at the moment. Oh, really? a, a digital pre-order, I think, at the moment. Mm-hmm. So what the movie's got, got pushed back was what, like um, Quiet Place 2? which is a cinema movie all day. Um, and yeah. are we going to end up, are they going to end up going, right, nobody's going to get back to the cinema this year. We're going to have to go, we're going to have to pull it up, pull it into the, the, you know, the download market. I don't know. I don't like know. Bond, they push Bond back, they push Black Widow back. Mm. Is Black Widow going to end up on uh, Disney Plus or something like that? But also, you're going to see um, people, people like HMV are going to struggle. Yeah, like we've got nothing to sell, so yeah. (laughs) Oh, god, (laughs) that's so fucking depressing. Survive just on our own video, will you? I don't think, but this is the thing it's just like all that. I was shopping online the other day, just looking, trying to look at all I wanted to look at was the the day's new release because Monday is the day of new release. What is out today? 
but you can you can put it in blu-ray order you can put new releases but it will dump every other pre-order and new release in there you can't just shop by what's out coming out on that day all i want to see is what was out on that day and it literally just mix it up mixes it up with everything so shopping online is completely different um but you know we'll see oh getting into depressing talk come on then right (laughs) fucking let's get into something good let's talk let's talk our main let's go to we should go to our main review let's do it Okay, this episode's movie, uh, main movie, is uh, Sea Fever. Um, it comes from director Nessa Hardiman, and it's a it's about a crew of a off of West Ireland trawlermen, I suppose, um, basically marooned at sea and struggling for their lives against a growing parasite in their water supply. It's been described, if you like, as the thing of the sea. All right. It stars Connie Nielsen as Freya and Hermione Caulfield as Siobhan. They're the sort of main two. Connie Nielsen, if you like, was in Wonder Woman. And Hermione uh, Caulfield has got a great career ahead of her. She's had a few few bits and bobs, but I think she's got a great great, great career ahead of her. What, what, what was your initial thoughts on this one, Matt? Um, <clears throat> initial thoughts? Um, uh, let's, let's hand it over to John. <laughs> Is that- um- I'd say it Come has on. an interesting concept. I thought your concept was really good. It had the, the foundation to be a really good horror film. I mean, it's in a it's set in a place that could be quite, you know, isolation is a big factor. Um, trust, there should be a lot of scenes for tension. But I just felt it was slightly lacking in terms of its characters. I mean, I only watched this two days ago and I can't tell you a single name of anybody <laughs> that was playing in it. Um, yeah, I don't know. It, yeah, it, it, and it borrowed a lot from the thing. That's, that's the, uh, there's a lot of story elements that matched up, um, but it just didn't have anywhere near the tension or the suspense, I think, to carry it through. I found my mind I think. wandering whilst it was happening, you know? I think that's um, fair. I, I wonder if you had a little bit of bias toward it as well, because they were having a pop at redheads and stuff like that. I did notice that. I mean, I've, I've often heard the myth about never having a woman on the boat, but I never I never put two and two together that being ginger was also classed as unlucky, which it can be, because you often, often, often get abuse for it. But uh, yeah, never heard that before, to be honest. Quite yeah, a hot redhead, though, wasn't she? It was quite nice. <laughs> she was great. Hermione um, Caulfield, she is fantastic. I was thinking, did they just throw that in there, though? Because they already had one woman on the boat, and they was like, we can't really say it's, be- you know, having a woman on the boat is unlucky because that would be deemed sexist. So did they just throw, oh, right, really, to get taken piss out of all the time, that would be right. This right. is just those Matt, because Matt loves his Irish, uh, Irish folk um, horror. So, Matt, is this a substantiated super superstition um is uh, uh, is uh, actually a superstition by a lot of fishermen yeah 
there's oh. there's like really there's loads of different superstitions. Like apparently you should never take a banana on a boat. Like, in America, <laughs> if you or if you take a, a boat on a banana, some that you'll get shot. It's like, so boat on a banana, not a banana, a banana on a boat. On a boat. Right. Don't so why do banana. they have banana boats? And if you go to Malta or something, like that, you can get on a banana boat. <laughs> That's double unlucky. You, have you seen yours? <laughs> oh Jesus Christ! Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. I go on yeah, a banana yeah. boat, mate. Yours too. Yeah. Oh my word! Yeah. But this like follows the sort of like, I don't know, there's been a lot of like um, horrors on boats. So what's that um, one, Mel- Melissa George, the triangle? Triangle, that's not bad. Yeah, that's decent. Uh, ghost ship. Yeah. Which really quite decent. And I don't know if this lived up to those sort of two. Um, I liked... Sorry. I, I, liked, I, I, liked, uh, I liked the idea of it and i liked i liked the production value of it and i liked the i liked seeing the monster under the under the sea i think that was what the one things that i took away from it um i thought it was a good concept though and the fact that she already off from the offset they're taking a dislike to her just because of the color of her hair i quite like that though because then when it really goes to shit then she's getting so not only has she got to deal with all the nasty stuff that's already going on there's this other layer of people just being cunts to her because they think she's unlucky. So it's like, even from the start, she's getting like some, some tension from people within the group. You know what I mean? So I thought that was quite an interesting element to throw in there, like right yeah. from the get go, that she's going to you know, have a hard time. You know? I, I did like, um, again, like the social elements to it. Um, it kind of was like, wow, what a movie to be watching right now at this time, because with the pandemic that's going on, and the facts that they're arguing about, well, spoilers, <clears throat> whether they're going to, you know, whether they should go back to the mainland and infect their loved ones. Um, it was quite um, interesting to kind of hear that at the moment. It's kind of like, what do you do? Do you stay on the boat? Do you not go back? Do you, you know, in the way she explained it, uh, yeah, but it will go to your kids and your, your family and that person and it'll infect the whole of the thing. It's quite weird watching it in, in this situation, which was very strange for me. What about how you guys felt about that? Yeah, the isolation factor sort of definitely kicked in. I kind of, because it's very tight on, on the boat and it's a very small boat and stuff like that. And they very much had to, you know, to get stuck in. So there was that sort of factor. But I did, I know exactly what you mean when they were making those decisions at the end, mm. based on the other boat that they saw as well. You know, it was, it was okay, but there's, and the nods to the the nods to the thing were were yeah. interesting and stuff. I also there's, there's, there's nods to Alien as well, like the, the, what? the, the Alien, like having the food around the table kind of scene. You know where they're all. Can we, can we just give a little synopsis, not to like give like give you know um, spoilers away or anything, but just to put people in the picture of what actually happens is that oh. they go out to sea and then this thing attaches itself to the boat. And this ooze starts seeping in, and when they got when they've got open cuts or whatever, this ooze seeps in, and it that's how it, yeah, yeah infected. The ooze looks like toothpaste as well. So I wrote like down it looks like gunk from Noel Edmonds' house party. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wrote down that it looked like cheap Colgate. <laughs> <laughs> Strange choice of colour. I didn't get why it was so bright and green and stuff. I, I know more like nasty. Like you know, have you ever seen Creep Show Two? Yes. You remember the, se- the the segment with the raft? Yeah, yeah. They go 
out on the raft in the in the lake and this big black mass just like yeah. oozes out and attaches it should have been like that really it should be so, yeah, so yeah. horrible <laughs> <laughs> but there was some good there were some good moments in this as well like in terms of the um not as good as the thing but like you know the the I I didn't get this first. It took me a couple. It took me a couple of. I had to rewind this bit actually. Um, so when his eyes exploded, oh, I, I thought that was quite cool. Was oh, I thought, but I thought it was. I thought he puked up. I thought that he just like um, he puked up and like all this blood had gone everywhere. And then I realised that oh fucking hell, his eyes have just puked blood. <laughs> that, was great. that was good. I like, enjoyed that. Yeah, that was good. That was a good shock. Um, yeah, I, I didn't. To be fair, I didn't expect that. I didn't see that coming. So they kind of surprised me with that one. I thought, oh, you know, he's going to get ill, and then you know, I had uh, an issue with how the monster looked when she went underneath and was diving and stuff. I don't think you necessarily needed to see the monster. No, I, mean, I agree. Could, I agree. Could have been about a virus. You could. You had enough there. You didn't need that hokey monster underneath. And could have just left it. Thing, it and gone. Yeah. yeah. Um, the funny thing is, when she come up as well, she didn't seem that bothered. She was like, oh, I've just seen this big, horrible monster under there that I've never, like, has got no like records or anything no one's ever seen before. And they was like, oh, could be a squid. <laughs> I would have been like, let's get the fuck out of, out of Dodge. Let's go. Let's fucking, you know, pull up anchor and go back to shore. Fuck this. I think you hit the nail on the head, though. That is just the one thing that this movie lacked. I'm like, fuck, what did I just see? I, my, the, <laughs> The boat's melting, the boat's <laughs> melting, right? They're not fucking really that scared of that. She right. goes under, sees this big fucking squid thing or whatever the fuck it was, and she's like, well, there's something down there. Yeah. Let's get the fuck out of here then. Right. You know, and it's, it's just a bit like, it was all a bit blasé. Even when it was like, they went over across to the other boat, and like you see all these dead bodies. He was like, hmm. uh, Yeah, know. casual. It's all, yeah, I've, seen, casual. I've, seen, I've seen worse. <laughs> <laughs> all right this is another thing i might have missed did they not have a radio or anything like that so they could just radio the coast guard when st- stuff started going to shit and be like apparently it, it broke it fell oh, off it broke i must have I was missed like it. it fell off the side of the ship and fell on the floor i'm like surely these things are nailed tight to the ship <laughs> well, <laughs> you know? if you remember jaws you know he had to get a baseball bat to the thing to really take it out and there was none of that it just sort of like fell on the floor and went into pieces i was like mm, okay that's what i was thinking this why this would have worked better for me if it was like a period piece if this was set like in the 70s or something mm. then you could be like know. okay the 40 the technology back then might not be that great or whatever that's I mean, true yeah you know, and it's quite a small budget film, I'd imagine. So, and you're oh, you're only on the boat, so you could have easily set it in the seventies, and then you know, and then it would have had that extra element of being a bit more like, you know. But they spent all their budget on Doug Ray Scott. <laughs> I was surprised to see him there, to be honest. Uh, not that I've seen him in much. Mission Impossible Two, I think he was in. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> but he had some big actors like Connie Nielsen's done a fair few bits. She's obviously been. She was. In Wonder Woman, um, she's the queen, if I remember rightly, and she's in yeah. obviously Justice League as well. So she popped up in some big movies. So they had a couple. But the the director itself is like, she's done. Yeah, she won won it for Happy Valley. So I haven't seen that yet, but you know she's done a fair few. This is this is a first big budget, big budget think, movie. The issues might be just with the scripts, as you say. I think where the direct reactions and stuff. Because I, I, I was thinking this is like. Can't, the actors, as you say, it seemed like good, quite good 
good cast. I thought they were good. I thought they were good. Yeah. But then there's the same where everything was just like didn't seem to provoke a reaction or anything. I was like, is this just a bit of a rubbish script? Yeah, the horror, like the blood, the gore, the special effects were okay. We're actually pretty good. It's just that the horror, the suspense, the thriller side of it wasn't really there. That's the only thing that sort of lacked mm. it for me. But mm. you know, it's like the the test scene, like straight from the thing. Obviously, where they're looking in each other's eyes to see if they've got this kind of virus inside them or whatever. But again, like John said earlier, it didn't it didn't seem like enough tense it wasn't enough it wasn't enough suspense in it and and i don't think i cared so much about the characters you know um but i mean this this opened at toronto film festival like one of the opening movies yeah um and yeah i think it's fairly low budget um i think it's funded by irish and scandinavians um but in certain scenes i think it were filmed great Oh yeah, the cinematography was beautiful. Like it didn't feel like it was a low-budget film. It felt like it was quite, you know, quite a well-made production. I mean, it had slick production values. To be mm. fair, like Definitely. when it first started, I thought, oh, this is going to be great. You know, mm. it just the, cre- the actual creature. <clears throat> apparently, they built a massive tank, uh, and they built the creature with the, the, the kind of like limbs attached to the ship. Um, but then it sounded really cool when I was saying about it. But then apparently they replaced a load of stuff with CGI. So I was like, mm. maybe they should have just left. The yeah, it didn't, it didn't look practical at all, did it? No, Because no. because yeah. even like I know obviously it wasn't practical. It was you know uh, visual effects and stuff like that. But we've just had um, that that Kirsten Stewart movie that we reviewed which I've lost the title for now, underwater. 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 And when you've got like a Cthulhu sort of looking monster, which is like ginormous, you almost like, okay, well you did it there and you did it. You've done, you've done the sort of underwater visual effects and very, and probably at the peak of what you could actually do with, um, with underwater effects. And then you've got this like blue kind of shiny thing. I don't know. It wasn't enough. It wasn't enough horror for me. But I, I did kind of like okay, I enjoyed it. I was all right. It was like it was it was watch more watchable than than Fantasy Island. <laughs> 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 but yeah, I ain't really got much more to say about it to be honest. Yeah. I, I mean, I have to say, I, I I wasn't necessarily bored, but I did feel my mind just wander. And I think all the callbacks to the thing, I just kept thinking of the thing, thinking, mm-hmm. oh, I wish I was watching that. <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like thinking, why does a thing work so well and this one doesn't as much? Why don't I care about these characters? It's crazy though. Do you not think it's crazy? A film that still is that old can still evoke that much inside of you when you're watching it. And it's just like, and so still now some people just can't get it right. Does yeah. that not make you think, wow, you know, this, you know, comes Yeah, why was film. it so right in 1981 and yet like fucking now is... There's some bit that some people could just like... You, but then you could have the argument of saying it's, it's been done, so that's why people always look back to I, that. I, I, I kept thinking, it, the problem with this one is it kept boiling down to the characters. Like, just the characters just seem so wishy-washy. I kept thinking about like films where it has like a big cast, like The Thing being one, or Aliens. And if you think about all those like soldiers and aliens, mm. each one of them is a character. You don't get any backstory or anything. They've just got little quirks and little mannerisms and little bits of personality that shine through that that, that 
but that are memorable and that you know I don't know just something works about it I couldn't figure out what was not hitting home for me with these people I just didn't have any interest mm. we were talking about this the other day and like with with, with um a director for horror and it's like he was suggesting that every, all of everything starts with character you you like you said like with aliens and stuff you do remember that you needed to give them all something different and it just wasn't there so yeah well, spot dawn, on that. dawn of the dead i think dawn of the dead is the prime example of good characters because then four people you're rooting for them the whole time and i've never been so upset of in, in any horror film where people get killed as that one yeah you know you actually feel like you're a part of the team and you want to see him succeed and stuff. And mm. when I was watching this one, I was like, oh, I wonder who's going to die next. <laughs> oh, wicked. Right. Matt, anything else to say about this bad boy? Um, I don't think so. No, no. No. All right. Well, let's get on to rating it then. I mean, you know, for me, pretty mediocre. Five out of ten. It's middle of the road, I think, for me. I'm not going to go too harsh on it because I like some of the blood and special effects. It's just like, like John says, character development and the association with the characters wasn't there for me. Yeah, yeah. five. I would go for me. I I would say probably five as well because I don't want to go any lower because it did it did it did keep me entertained. Um, uh, but yeah, I agree with that. I I think the script writing let it down. I think John was right with that. To be fair. Uh, but it's like John said, it's a great concept. I'm, I'm going to go slightly. I might just push it up to the to the six. I think because I was wavering between five and six, and I know I've been quite harsh on it. But as I said, like the actual filmmaking itself was really well done. It was really pretty. It was really nice to look at. Um, as I say, the the performances. Yeah, I think the issue was the scripts, but like. The cast was pretty good. I think it was made with a lot of love. I don't think they just, you know, it wasn't just like they didn't give a shit, you know. Just say six because of Hermione Caulfield. It's fine. Just the redhead. The redhead got you. <laughs> oh, yeah. And that, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, for being so derogatory towards redheads, I should knock it off. So now take it back down to five. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> so that's a draw and last breath five out of ten and i think we've actually got we've potentially actually got next episode's movie this time and i'm going to say it and i'm probably going to jinx it because it end up won't coming out now will it but there's a film called wretched that uh we really want to watch so um hopefully if that's out on vod in the next couple of weeks if not there's a good couple of ones on shutter blood quantum being another one that matt keeps on bringing up <laughs> Could be end up watching a slapstick zombie movie. Ooh. So, who knows, eh? Right then, let's move on to our something to scream about. What do you want from me? Why don't you run from me? What are you wondering? Why do you know? Why aren't you scared of me? Why do you care for me? So this week, something to scream about is a really good, actually, question that's come from John. So it's basically films that we've done a 180 on that we thought that were shit when we were younger, but then we've rewatched them and then appreciate them more now. So, Mr. Butcher, we'll go with you first. This was fucking hard, man. 
Um, I'm not. A, I'm not a hater. But you like a lot of shit. I do like a lot of shit. Obviously, some of the ones that we've watched recently have been a bit ropey. That I, I could, I could have reversed it. I could have reversed it and said some of the movies I watched as a kid didn't stand up to the second watch. You know, maybe when I was a, an adult. I know that upsets John a little bit. You yeah. know, if I could talk about people under the stairs. <laughs> But maybe talk about that in a bit. But I had one which was quite interesting to me. When I had, I really, because I talked to you, Matt, in the week, and I was like really struggling with it. And I was like, okay. So there was one movie when I was, um, when I watched when I was a lot younger, um, where I sort of preferred the sequel big time. And I, and I've changed my ways in the last couple of years. And I'll tell you why. So the Alien franchise. So Alien and Aliens, right? When I was younger, I watched them both. I watched all three at the time. I'm not forget about four, but um, I watched all three. But Alien for me was like, all right, that was that's fucking scary as balls, and had some good moments. But I'm just like, okay, it was just movie to me. And then Aliens was like, fuck. It was all about Aliens for me. Aliens was just like, you got the the great one-liners. So, you know, Bill Paxton like, game over, man, game over. That fucking line. Um, it's just like synonymous and it's like new everything about that movie is perfect and it's the perfect sequel it's the action one and those fucking rotary guns like in the in the aisle man it was just sick so for me like when i was younger aliens was my movie that was my alien movie until we went to watch the 40th anniversary at the cinema and i got this whole new appreciation for that movie i could see the watching the cinema i could see the beauty of the sets i was astounded absolutely like my my jaw dropped at like watching those sets and i was thinking and you i don't know if i got this because i got older but it was like wow they built all of that it was just incredible and 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 for a movie that's like 40 years old right it was it was incredible it was better than the first time i watched it so for me, like Alien really fits that sort of mark. For a movie. Yeah, I agree just... all the way. When I was a kid, I'd, I'd hardly ever watched the first Alien film. I thought it was more <laughs> boring. I was like, we, we, me and my mate, we used to watch Aliens all the time. Even Alien 3, we used to whack on and like, yeah. watch that endlessly. And every it comes to what, oh, I've got to watch the first one. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's always seemed like it was a chore to get through. I mean, it had its moments. I mean, you never forget like the chest bursting scene and stuff like that. But it's because it's like an hour's worth of build up before anything happens. I think that's the issue with it. Yeah, and I think yeah. being an adult, a lot, of it, a lot of it is eye candy. You are supposed to sit there and like take in the atmosphere and, and get engrossed in it. And as a kid, you're just like, come on, you know, just want <laughs> <an> action. <laughs> yeah, and with the aliens, you had that from the start, and you had like you were saying earlier. Like I was remembering all the, you know, the little notes. Like even um, uh, what the the woman with the big fucking gun. She had personality from the goddamn start. I don't Vasquez. remember the name. Oh, Do you remember the names? What? Vasquez. Vasquez. Yeah. Oh, it's just like every single one and the pulse rifles and everything was just incredible. There was not much in the first one, you know, the weapons wise, probably not that much. But oh, and even they like. <laughs> Well, yeah, but it was yeah. just like, and see, even seeing the bit, the bit that really got me was, like you said, was the builder at the start and just like f- the slow pan around the um, the ship 
and you got to see it and all the lights turning on you like fuck it just was an incredible set and the bit when she's getting into the um she's locking herself in at the end and you've got the alien sort of just Oh yeah, it's tense as hell that bit. Oh, man. <laughs> Watching it in the cinema was just nuts. And I've never seen anything. I've never done a 180 so much. And, and the space I'm, jockey I, as well, when they enter the, 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 the bit of the ship with the space jockey. It's like, when you see that, it's like, Jesus Christ, they actually built that. Yeah, it's you're talking on set, built things. <laughs> and that, that the two little characters are children in space outfits. Just yeah, so they get the, the right yeah. kind of like feel to it and stuff. But... Yeah, the sets, man. This is like you just think, wow, this is mental. All mental. Knowing some of the backstory now as well, like some of the like actors' responses, like the chestburster scene is fucking incredible. Mm-hmm. But then knowing like what the director, like um, Ridley Scott, did to the fucking um, actors, like didn't warn them and stuff, and like had general reactions. Those sorts of stories really get me. And then watching it again, you're like, oh yeah, I can fucking see it in her face. <laughs> Oh yeah, so that one for me was um, was my pick. God, John, you, you go. Right. What what tipped this idea off is because I, I don't know what episode it was. Oh, scream! That was right. And you started ragging on Where's Craven <laughs> and saying that New Nightmare was a big piece of shit, which I oh. would have agreed with you. I would hundred percent agreed with you up until about a month ago when I rewatched New Nightmare and I was absolutely floored at how good it was. Yeah, I just couldn't believe I, it. I did stick up for that movie when he said that. Yeah, you was a bit like, I don't know about that. But it's yeah, like if you it's it's totally the groundwork for Scream. That film is so clever in what it does. I think it's, it's just, before it's time, wasn't it? Really? Yeah, I think so. It's like they handed the, the franchise to Wes Craven and said, there you go, make us another one. And he's like, what the hell am I going to do? And he's like, I don't know, I'll just make Freddy invade the real world. And it, it has so many clever callbacks to the original series without being cheesy, not like the way people reference now, where, like, I don't know, not to brag on Star Wars, because I like Star Wars, but when, like, in the modern ones, it's like, oh, here's this character. Just throw him into shot. And like, remember this guy, remember that guy. It incorporates the film world and the real world so well, that it's so perfectly meshed, that one seeps into the other and you don't even notice it. It's like one scene when they leave the house and she closes the door, and it's like the blue door to the, to the original Nancy's house. And then they start talking like in the original lines from the original film. And she has to go, well, stop, wait a minute, what's happening? And it's just like, holy fuck, they're in the movie now. Like what? And yeah, I think the issue was when it came out, I think I was about 12 when it came out. And I remember being pumped for all the Nightmare on Elm Street. every time they come out, although I wasn't old enough to see them in the cinema, I was just like really excited. I remember this one coming out and seeing the advert and seeing that it was only a 15. And I was like, oh, What's that about? <laughs> you know, because every Freddy up until then was, was an 18. And I think when it came to Sky or whatever, and I watched it, I think because it doesn't really go down into the realms of blood and carnage and like, like the slasher tropes that like the other Nightmare, Nightmare on Street films do, I was really disappointed. I didn't really kind of get its angle it was going for. And I think even Wes Craven admits he was a little bit horror light. He wished he would have pushed it a bit further in terms of its nastiness. He said he kind of regrets that. But coming back out of the 80s, they were trying to shy away from being that excessive. They were trying to go more down a, down a psychological route, what with Science of the Lambs and stuff being really successful and all the rest of it. So I think when he came around to do Scream, he really upped the ante 
it again. But watching it, I was like, I don't really care about that now. I'm really enjoying the story for what it is. I think it's a really clever concept. And I kind of enjoy Freddy is quite nasty in it. He's not like the jokey Freddy that he was before. So I really appreciated this time what they was trying to do. And I, oh, yeah, and when it was finished, I went back and watched it again. And I was just like, actually, this has been elevated up, up in the in my appreciation now to what, what it once was, you know. Still got some hokey stuff in it. Not a fan of the ending, really. I quite like the den when they land in like the demonic kind of like Romanesque bounds of hell at the end yeah. but, um, when his tongue comes out and it wraps around her and stuff it just seems like <laughs> what's going on this is like something that like Mary Six would have done you know I think it's because I got a real distaste for 90s horror and right. I think because so, there's I keep saying this there's a there's a particular feel around the 90s movies and stuff like that it's got such a I don't know what it's some there's some good but they, there's just there's just i don't know if it's the camera that everyone use right so you look at like nikita um you know we said this before matt like you know um sleeping with the enemy jacob's ladder all those sort of movies the, the cameras the camera angle is sort of it's very similar i right. don't know and it's, um it's made for tv a little bit you think that's maybe <laughs> it there's just something off and maybe and it's the fucking maybe it's like the um the costumes, the the time, the feel, and like all that sort of stuff, I didn't really like. I used to hate the eighties. I used to hate, like, I used to think that there was nothing good from the eighties, and I used to think all the fashion and all that stuff that came out of the eighties was shit. And I don't know why. My head's like taking a twist, and maybe I've got older and nostalgic and stuff. And I'm like, okay, actually, fucking hell, I miss all that. But now I'm looking at the nineties in that way. I'm mm. looking at all the 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 fashion. I'm going, oh, fucking hell. The, we sort of like cheesy eighties, big hair, but wrong. I think you're right. I think that's. I think like in the in the early nineties, I remember that it was like it was really like passe to like think of the eighties affectionately. I think you know, and that's why the horror genre took a massive nosedive. Is because yeah. people were like, I ain't gonna see that st- that stupid shit. Like overnight, it seemed to be like the eighties was seemed really stupid and silly, and people wanted yeah. to distance themselves as much as they could from it. Probably why. 90s films feel a little bit off to the 80s stuff because they're probably going for a more serious tone and stuff. And Sorry, I think that's why when Scream came along, it was like, oh, actually, it's okay to like all that stuff as long as you're taking the piss out of it. Really. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I think that's their way round. But And in the 90s, it seemed really cool just to be like ultra-like meta and, you know what I mean? It, it's like we went from the 80s, like you're right, we went from the, like, the, the, the fun of the 80s, the laughter, the everything like that and the happy stuff and the kind of silly stuff and all that. But then when you enter the nineties, it starts getting serious. When mm. things like seven come out and silence of the lambs. And even Candyman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even Candyman. And it's just like, no, we're not going to do that. We're serious. We're going to deal with like proper dark kind of like moody kind of nineties, even like, Come on! Even the music in the nineties was moody because it's just like you know, <laughs> grunge and all that sort of stuff. Teenage you know, angst yeah. was coming yeah. out, and it's just like and then that's when you had the run of teenage movies, uh, like one after the other, and it just got saturated. But we're not going to get into that anyway. But just database. But I, I, I tell you, what, I'd like to give it another pop, um, just to see. But I did put it on when I was doing when we were doing the Nightmare on Elm Street run, and we were talking about that early days, and we did Nightmare on Elm Street, and I watched. I watched one, two, two is poor. It's so poor. 
three is great. Four's not bad. Five and six. I mean, six is just the three. He's got one. some great special effects. Yeah, yeah, but it's just like after you know when you get to three and onwards, it's just like that. It's it's Freddie becomes a one line hero, but you know it's um. Dream Warriors is amazing. Dream Warriors is amazing. Anyway, but that's it is for it's full of one liners like. Welcome to prime time, bitch. You know, it's just like that. Yeah, like, number three is kind of in the middle ground. He's still kind of nasty, but he's got the one-liners. Oh, yeah. But it's amazing. It's kind so of in the middle. Yeah, Dream Warriors is still good. Elm Street films I've watched so much. Now, uh, two, like some of them sequels I've done a 180 on as well. Like part two, where you just said was shit. I actually quite like now. I quite like the fact it's so different to the, to the rest. Mm. And he's actually really nasty in it. And it's like, oh, that bit when he like smashes up all the kids at, at the pool party and stuff like that. I think it's great and uh, all the like gay innuendos and I don't know it's just a lot, <laughs> a lot going on say. now well, I can there's, watch many. One, there's and, so many innuendos and yeah. it's like the fucking you're right about the pool scene the pool scene is fucking dark but it's that fucking kid that fucking kid is just unbelievable and he need, if they had a different actor he <laughs> oh, come on you have the chance right to go to his girlfriend's house and sleep with her and he chose to go with his best mate and stay around his house instead. <laughs> huh? <laughs> I don't know, man. I just can't get over that fucking kid. If he, he didn't need to be in it, and he was just so like close, it was like nine seven. It was like hoax in nine seven. He's made a career out of it, though. He's made a career out of it. Uh, I don't think he did. I think actually Nightmare Two messed up his career. Um, oh yeah. He's, he's, I met him at a convention and he, he didn't seem, he seemed like he was still quite a depressed person. And, oh, really? Uh, yeah, only now he's kind of like warmed up to embracing it a little bit, but he said he was, it was quite a hard time for him after he did I that. think he's got like a documentary out all about it. Yeah, I've not seen it. He mm. seemed like a nice guy, I think, mm. but I wasn't going to make any jokes about screaming. <laughs> <laughs> and also the fifth one, the fifth one everyone ranks on all the time. I actually really love the fifth one now. I think it's actually quite cool because it's so different. I like the, the teen pregnancy angle and how he's invading the baby's dreams and stuff. And I think visually, it's one of the best. It's got some really nice Vis- design in it. And- visually, I'll give you that. Dream Child is fucking, it's great. And it, it brings in, um, so what's the fourth one called? Dream Master. Dream Master. Fourth, fifth one's called Dream Child. Yeah, it's 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 not bad visually. Is that which one's the cockroach scene? Is that got? It's the fourth one. That's the fourth one. Yeah. yeah. See, yeah. the fourth one I used to love as a kid, but now I watch it and I'm just really bored because it's just it's it's good as a Nightmare on Elm Street film, but it's just so paint by numbers. It's like it's it's not it's just nothing really. It's like skit after skit kind of thing, really. Yeah. Yeah, it's just one, you know, dream sequence after the next. Whereas I think the others are like number two and number five. At least they've got some story angle. They've got it's got a bit more meat to its bones. You know what I mean? So I can't I can't ever agree with you on two, but you know I'll give you five. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I also really like um, uh, Alice as a as a as um final girl. Um, she's beaten Freddie twice. Yeah. And, uh, it's funny, I met her at a convention recently and I, I brought this to her attention and said, you know, you're the only one who's ever survived, like, all, like both films. And she said, I know, like, Alice, Alice lives. So she had a T-shirt that said, Alice lives on it. And then I, I, I stupidly then proposed an idea and saying, like, oh, wouldn't it be great if, like, Freddie come back and that you are still, like, as, like, a 40-year-old woman, Freddie comes after an, an older woman instead. 
and then invades like her family members and stuff. Wouldn't that be a cool concept? And she's like, yeah, I guess. I was like, let's make it happen. Quick, talk to Robert. Get on it. And I was like, and I said, you can even call it Nightmare on Elm Street Part Six because technically Freddy's dead is just the final nightmare, so that could take after take place right after five. But I was like, let's make it happen. And she's no problem. Be like, I'm a nutter. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Love that. Go on then, Matt. What you got? Well, if it, if it's my real answer, right, it's totally not horror, and it's Last Action Hero because it's a fucking amazing film, and it was way before its time. But what? Yeah, Last Action Hero is amazing. No, it's a good movie. Way before its time. Anyway, but it's quite kind of weird because I, I kind of had two. You touched on one of them nearly earlier, um, and it was kind of Alien Three because um, I know everybody hits hard on it, um, especially the way it opens and stuff, which I always agree with and I still agree with. But Alien Three as a movie is fucking amazing. This I think like, so. I wish yeah, they could have. I wish they could have just done Alien 3 as just a kind of sub-side story, or just a side story, you know? Um, but I just think it was just so well done. And it was just like, when I was a kid, I didn't appreciate that much, even though I had the Mega Drive game, Alien 3 as well. Uh, oh, the Mega Drive game was great. <laughs> and um, it was just like, wow. Like, when I rewatched it, I was like, this film is actually so well made. And that's some creme a la creme actors in it as well. Like it the is, cast man. was amazing. Um, so yeah, it's Forrest, it's Forrest Whitaker. Forrest Whitaker in it. Yeah. No, it, yeah. no it's not. It's Charles. It's, oh no, it's not. Uh, no, no. Lawrence Fishburne. No, I think his name's Charles Dutton. I think he, he's a lot like Forrest Whitaker. It's not the same though. That's but right. He's yeah. a really good actor. Yeah, the, the whole film has got the cream of the crop in terms of cast. To be honest, like every. It's got that, what's that northern bloke is in like every like English movie going and he always plays an old bastard I can't, Bean. Life of, no, I can't for the life of him remember his name but he, he was, he's brilliant in it I can't he's a right old bastard um, yeah. but I just yeah I, I, I love that but um, that that after you know I rewatched it I appreciate that way more um, but I have to say my actual biggest 180 was probably watching Event Horizon because I watched it on VHS when I was quite young with an ex-girlfriend. And um, I just didn't appreciate it at all. I was like, it's just weird. I don't get it. What's going on? Um, and I revisited it about probably about four years ago. And it's, it's, it's really, really good. And I just, I just didn't appreciate the reason of it and what it is and, you know, is it purgatory? What is going on? Um, all the kind of like really kind of weird shit that happens in it. Um, and you can't. A lot of, I think a lot to do with the reason why you probably didn't like it was Sam Neill. He's good. Sam Neill's good in it though. He's really, really good. <laughs> it's not the director because he's responsible for all the Resident Evil films. The lot Lawrence Fishburne is an alien versus Predator. <laughs> 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 now it is, probably, it is a good film it is a really good film yeah. another 90s horror that is probably overlooked to be honest um, yeah I, I don't know maybe it's one that takes a few watches because I remember that being a bit underwhelmed and then seeing it again on TV recently I was like this is fucking amazing it's, it's got, got so many layers it's got so many layers to that movie it's ridiculous mm -hmm. and the gore in it is fantastic 
Well, I, I only wish they did like an uncut version because they cut a lot of it out. It's, Apparently yeah. there is there yeah there is an uncut version, but I think that um it's basically lost and yeah. it will never get released. Apparently yeah. it's literally lost. Yeah, you can see some of the uh, bits that are cut out, but it's like VHS quality, which is a shame. So uh, there's no yeah. way they can spice them back into the film. Not really, you know. Um, I just hope they find like a like in a vault somewhere like yeah. an uncut master because some of that stuff is just gnarly as fuck but it's incredible yeah i'm, I'm still yet to see uh the um cabal cut of um what's it called uh, again they say it's not worth it because the quality is so bad is it? just you just can't get invested in it because it's mm. just it just flips you know when you watch one sometimes they put these delete scenes back in it's like hd quality one minute and then it goes to like pirated VHS the next yeah. I said a lot of it's like that they're trying really hard at the moment to do a massive restoration on it to get it up to heard, yeah. but it's going to take years until it's done so the one they released recently apparently I think Clive Barker released it on his website and he only did like 150 copies and it was something ridiculous like 150 quid to oh, buy wow. <laughs> yeah and then people wow. that bought it say it's not really worth it it's not it's not nice to see the footage but it's you can't get invested in the movie because it just flips it's, it's so distracting you know mm, i just bought his book and christ that was expensive enough oh really <laughs> up there on the shelf is literally two massive volumes it's huge you're hiding that from me as well that's like <laughs> it's like taunting me i need to come <laughs> around and like fucking proper have a look at it maybe you just need to share it with me over uh skype <laughs> maybe that was good for good fun yeah. conversation did you have any other bones that you wanted to pick before um oh, no i just had a couple more that, that I, i've done a 180 on when i was on. a kid um believe it or not as a kid i didn't like evil dead 2 oh really yeah i was really disappointed when i watched evil dead 2 because as a kid i was a massive fan of the first evil dead and it was like always one of these videos where my parents are like, no, you're not watching that one. And it was like, they put it on the top shelf or put, hide it somewhere. And, and they said, if we ever catch you watching that, we're going to get beat. <laughs> and none of that, they went out once. I think I was sick. Yeah, no, I was sick. And they went out to work for the day. And I was like, now's the time. And I just watched it and I was absolutely traumatized by it. And uh, just the whole nature, because I've, I've seen mostly, I think, Hollywood type horror films at that point and I think because it was so low budget and I think the copy we had wasn't that great it felt even more nastier than it should have been you know it felt like it was summoned up from the depths of hell this videotape that I've just stuck in I literally thought I might have like some manifestation in the house after watching it <laughs> <laughs> and I remember thinking it was the most grueling experience ever but loved it and watched it every time they went out and then I saw that Evil Dead 2 was on telly on Bravo or some, some sort of sky and I, I taped it and I remember being so excited and about 10 minutes in I was like what the fuck have they done why is this so funny why where's the horror I just didn't get why it went, it's such a change in tone and I, I, I just yeah I did I don't even think I made it to the end I just turned it off because I was so upset and it took took years later for it to come out on DVD and I watched it sunk since then and I just like forgot about that and just completely like enjoyed it and just got, totally got the humor and everything and it, it was just weird i just thought as i said i did 180 on it i was just like this is amazing actually this is probably gonna be better than you the original you know I'm, but, um, I'm pretty sure i watched army of darkness before i watched evil 2 evil dead 2 right 
I'm pretty sure because it's just like something about that. It didn't need to be anything. It's just that fucking cover. It's just like with him with a shotgun. I'm just like, and I just love the skeletons in it. I think it's fucking brilliant. Oh, you might I, be right there. You might. I might have saw that before I saw Evil Dead Two, and I couldn't match it up. I was like, why is there elements to this that looks like it's from the Evil Dead when it doesn't feel anything like the Evil Dead? I thought it was just like a spin-off. They did like some crazy kind of like spin-off, like in the same sort of universe, but a different story. I didn't put two and two together that it was the same character. Well, I, I don't think I watched Evil Dead until I was about um, like 18. I, I think I watched that last. I think that was la- the last one I watched out of the three. Um, and it wasn't until I heard about this, you know, and I never even got, I never even bothered watching it until I sit, you know, the, tri- the tree violation scene and stuff. Like that. And when I got into really like banned movies, right. I, I bought like, um, I, when Matt was working at HMV, um, I bought I Spit on Your Grave and uh, Last House on the Left and and I had an, a, a copy of Evil Dead because it, you know. You know the book, the, I thought you had the Book of the Dead. I've got the Book of the Dead, yeah, yeah. I've got that copy still. And it's like those fucking band scenes. I've got a real fascination with band, the band sort of stuff. But the, 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 yeah, I'm pretty sure I saw the, other, the first two and then that was the, the first one was last right. for me. Weird. Yeah. Weird. Um. And then the other one, again, which is similar, um, another sequel, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. <laughs> I, still, I still haven't seen it. Mate, I absolutely love that movie. I love it. I think it's brilliant. But at the time, I think this must have been around 2000, I think I saw this, because Texas Chainsaw, both, all films that were called The Texas Chainsaw Massacre up to that point were banned in this country. You couldn't get them anywhere. They was like, you, and I think they just released the original Texas Chainsaw on DVD. It, they lift the ban, and I what? And I remember people saying, "Oh, it's not all that great," and all that. And I watched it, and I was like, "This is a fucking masterpiece. It's brilliant." And then, and then I think, yeah, because it was two thousand, and then I went to live in the states. I lived in California for a couple of years, okay. and, I was hang, and I was hanging out with my mates in the states, and, I, and we went into the video store to rent some films, and I saw the Texas Chainsaw Massacre two on the shelf. And I was like, holy fuck, there's a sequel? Back then, I didn't know. I don't think even internet was that big. I don't remember being aware there was a sequel to The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And I was like, holy shit, that's the most terrifying film I've ever seen. We have to rent it. It's going to be amazing. And then renting it and then putting it on with these guys that I barely knew. And they were just like, what the fuck is this? Because it's completely off the wall, Mm. crazy, like the same... It, kind of like similar to Evil Dead 2 in a sense it's got that kind of wacky sense of humour it's not really scary it's just fucking bonkers <laughs> <laughs> bonkers yeah and it, I think it's because it, that was intentional because Toby Hooper was like how the hell am I going to top the, the, the first film I'm never going to top it so why don't I just do a parody of the first film was his way of thinking and just have fun with it the same way like they did with Evil Dead. And I was not expecting that. And I was just like, this is the biggest piece of shit I've ever seen. Did you but, ever watch it? Did you ever watch any trauma when you were younger? Yeah, yeah. I remember I remember Toxic Avenger as a kid. Because I, I never watched Toxic Avenger, but we had I, I remember <laughs> I remember this young young girl who lived around the street, uh, around the and we were about 13, 14. And her house, they they were breeding snakes. Right. That was like, it was a real small house, but they had fucking like a shelf full of snakes. It's weird. But then he had a shelf full of like dodgy horror movies as well. So I don't know what the dad was in, but he, he was into his like 
boot cuts. And that's where I watched Class of Newcomb High for the first time. We were around her house and she said, what do you want to watch? Now, this one's fucking stupid. Let's put this on. Fucking brilliant. I loved it ever since, but it's so weird. I never saw them out in the wild. I remember, as I say, I remember Bravo was a, was a cable right. station and they used to play a lot of them back in the day. And I caught a lot of crazy shit that way, but I never remember seeing Troma on the video shelves anywhere. Oh, it was fucking oh, yeah. bonkers. Just it was like you know, it was just like a you know a bassif tape. Right. <laughs> the, only, the only thing I saw was like toxic, <laughs> and that's because yeah, that and that was cut to shit as well. I think it, like it's really truncated that like, back in the day, the VHS version of that. Because around two thousand was when I first invested in the DVD player, and I was importing loads of films from the states. Mm-hmm. And the toxic <laughs> was like the first one imported. I was like literally blowing people's minds. <laughs> like, okay. kids, kids were coming around that had the VHS copy, and it like, it's like I've only got like half the film. What the fuck? There's literally one <laughs> scene in it. It's like you know the, the opening scene when they run over the kids' heads. They're, they're for fun. They're running people over and they crush the kids in the car. Oh. <laughs> right, anyway, on the UK VHS version, you don't even see that. They're in the car, and he says, "Shall we go and run some people over?" And he says, "Oh no, we can't. We've got church tomorrow." <laughs> and that's it that's the end of the scene <laughs> crazy fucking love to that film. oh mate that's fucking awesome great little chat that I enjoyed that a lot yeah that's good really good alright okay right Matt what we got next wow we were lucky enough um, to sit down uh, in the week and we had a really good chat with um editor, director and producer Charlie Steeds and actor David Lennick. Um, we sat down and we chatted with them uh, all about their latest movie and all the ins and outs and stuff of what they do and how they're getting on in lockdown. So we're going to play that to you now. Um, thanks so much for letting us do that with you guys. Hope you like the interview. There we go. Paul and myself are joined by writer, director and producer Charlie Steeds, plus actor David Lennox, star of Charlie's movies such as Winter Skin, Barge People and English Haunting. Welcome, guys. How are you doing? Very good. Hi, very well, thank you. Good, good. Good to have you on. So um, how is lockdown going for you guys at the moment and in these weird, strange times? Well, for me, it's kind of lucky because I've got a movie to edit. I've just finished shooting one. So I was really lucky that the lockdown didn't affect our actual shoot. It was about two weeks after the shoot finished that, you know, the lockdown started. So I was editing anyway. So I'm just here editing. It's, it's life as usual. It's quite an isolated life for an editor. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I've been kind of lucky, really. Um, so, so not much different from my usual daily routine, to be honest. Yeah, um, mine's quite different, um, obviously. Uh, being an actor um my life has kind of stopped at the moment like lots of other people's um so all auditions are kind of pretty much stopped other than for south takes and things like that um and yeah just so everything's kind of gone at a standstill not, not lots going on in the in the film industry at the moment and being an actor most of my work is kind of being around people all the time so that's not very possible at the moment unfortunately but yeah, no, just kind of making the best of things, really, and uh, lots of lots of good films to watch, and kind of yeah, just getting on with that, really. <laughs> yeah, it must be strange. I mean, is it going to affect you guys with the movies, obviously, in the future coming out and stuff like that? Uh, do obviously we don't know a lot of things, but mm. 
What do you think? Well, the biggest worry really is, uh, you know, you, you want to hope that the movie industry, even even at like the independent level, you know, you want to hope that the companies are still asking for you to create content because, uh, I, I mean, at the moment, everyone, it feels to me, all these companies, they're kind of just at a standstill. They don't know what exactly is going to happen. They don't mm -hmm. know if it's going to be... Uh, maybe a positive effect because the streaming sales are up a lot because everyone's at home or whether it's going to be a big negative effect because people aren't in the supermarkets and HMV buying the DVD copies. So I think at the minute people don't really know. So they're just kind of staying still. So they're not funding things. I mean, we can't make things anyway, but I'm just hoping that when the lockdown ends, at least, uh, people want everyone to go back out there and carry on making stuff. Um, because, you know, uh, for me, like, uh, you go from film to film every time, you kind of forget, you kind of forget this every time, but after you finish the movie, you, you don't know what's going to come next. And every time there is a little bit of a gap where you kind of think, shit, like, maybe, maybe they don't, maybe nobody comes along with another film for me. Maybe, uh, maybe that's it for this year. Like, uh, but I've been lucky that every time, you know, I've gone straight on to the next one. So you know with this it's even more worrying what if what if they don't want another one you know uh, but we just got to see what happens yeah mm, yeah I'm hoping there'll be like a, a sudden burst in um, films being made after this is all over but uh who knows but um, it's interesting that um an English haunting literally has come out right in the middle of the lockdown uh, we were wondering if it was even going to come out because of mm. uh, it was scheduled to come out but then obviously all this um, craziness happened so we were really unsure weren't we yeah, yeah. Um, but it seems to have, yeah come out everywhere and is I don't know maybe it's even doing a little bit better because of the lockdown no one has anything else to do yeah, everyone's, everyone wants to movie. just watch movies yeah so. I think so maybe I mean like I said streaming I've read places that streaming is up 60% which is huge mm -hmm. you know and, and VOD sales is where all the money comes from anyway really not DVDs and it, it can be just done online so really uh i hope that all these companies see a big spike in sales of their movies uh which means you know the movies are making more money and then we should have bigger budgets and all this sort of stuff so that's yeah hopefully anyway yeah <laughs> that's, that's the the end goal <laughs> yeah we, we've sort of seen quite a lot of the reviews for an english haunting and stuff like that but i think we'll talk about probably that a bit later but um yeah that looks looking promising at the moment i saw you a number what number three yeah, in the um in the Amazon bestseller for horror, we've been sort of keeping a little eye on because because it's actually really hard to tell. Like you know, who who knows whether your movie is really doing good or bad or or what to even judge it by. I mean, usually about a year after the DVD release, I get sent a report that tells me how many copies have sold and all this sort of thing. But it's hard to really know, so you can only really go off the buzz online. And uh, yeah, keeping an eye on the Amazon horror bestseller ranks. And... I, think, I think it actually went up to um, the highest it got to was number two, actually. Ooh, sorry. Was... <laughs> yeah. I was like, that's cool, that's cool. But yeah, from the day it came out, it, it hung went. in there in the top sort of 10, maybe went down to 15 a couple of times uh, until it was out of stock. Yeah, which um, is, yeah, it's, it's now out of stock, which is, is a good thing, but also a bad thing, which means no one else can buy it at the moment. So, um, so temporarily out of stock, but um. Yeah, which which means it's gone down a lot. <laughs> yeah, that can be frustrating when that happens. But these people are buying it. I suppose that was that's one good sign to it, I think. But absolutely, absolutely, definitely. It's good. It's good to know that people are doing that still. Yeah, it's really nice to know. 
so I kind of want to kind of go back a bit for you both now if you can just go back in a kind of time machine and I want to ask you kind of like what was your first kind of memory of horror mm. well you <laughs> you have loved horror from a really young age yeah I, I started really young um actually the, the first two horror films I watched actually were it was Scream and it, I think it was uh, New Year's Eve 1999 um and so I was like I was very young um I was like eight, given my age out there. But yeah, so that was the first time I'd ever ever watched a horror film and I loved Scream. And then a film that I watched really soon after was Halloween. I got it on video. Loved it. Yeah, that's kind of like my early memories of like proper horror films. Other before that I'd watched like Goosebumps and all that kind of stuff when I was really young. But yeah, like that's my first proper horror film experience, I would say. Whereas I was always terrified of horror films. Like, <laughs> they really, really scared me until I was about 14 or 15. Like, you wouldn't catch me watching even, like, a 12-rated horror film. It would make me cry. Like, I was so terrified uh, of just anything. I remember watching The Ring 2 whenever that came out on DVD. I watched, like, I don't know, 10 minutes of The Ring 2 and I was completely traumatised. Um, but then the reason I got into it is because I always wanted to like horror. Um, and then there was a 12-rated horror film, uh, Rose Red. It's a miniseries, a Stephen King miniseries. And I thought, well, it's rated 12. It looks scary, but how scary can it really be? And it was one of these things where I thought, well, I could tell my friends I'd watch this scary Stephen King thing, but actually it's, they don't need to know that it's just 12 rated. You know, I could pretend that I watched something really scary. Um, and then I watched it and then I, I actually, I was, I did find it scary, uh, but I loved it. And then I, that was my route into horror was just watching loads of Stephen King stuff and reading Stephen King stuff. Um, and it was the fact that there was this guy's name, Stephen King, it was like this brand. Um, and that's what got me really interested in just the idea of, uh, you know, even directing as well and like being a writer and director, just making your own type of horror. But yeah, that's that was my way in. Yeah, and uh, from watching um, all those like kind of slashes in early age, slashes are now like some of my favourite films. Um, so when I was growing up, most people had like Disney and things like that. I was like watching like all the slashes and stuff. So. Yeah. <laughs> I mean I'm the same as you like my mum had a uh, the bookshelf full of Stephen King books so all I would do was stare at every all of these Stephen King novels all the time yeah. and she'd let me I think she'd let me watch it with her when that came out in yeah. like in the 90s and stuff that we were able to watch that I was about 10 when that came out in 1990 so uh, yeah that's the sort of um, the thing that got me into horror and yeah. I was a I was a crier <laughs> but I think you need that to really I mean you wouldn't say this but I think you need that to appreciate the horror because if you have not appreciated how properly terrifying something can be if you know if I was eight, year, eight years old and I was watching Scream and I was just giggling through it I wouldn't now be able to appreciate as a director what what got those feelings of fear in me you know so now I can sort of that's that's part of the obsession with horrors you know I, I just I love I like to tell scary stories I like to see other people get scared because it affected me so much back when I was younger you know but obviously now nothing really scares me you know <laughs> yeah I like to think that but then you sit me in front of paranormal activity now and I still got my hoodie <laughs> over my head so. <laughs> so actually moving on from that what like um what made you decide to pick then 
like the horror like the movie the horror movie like genre because you don't really have a subgenre you're sort of like you're you're not fixating on sort of like the Tromaville or zombies you're going everywhere with it what sort of what's your focus with that well I just like I, I mean I've, I've always loved horror I've always loved uh, sitting around even as a kid and like telling people scary stories and I guess that's just it's just what I love to it's just the thing I just most love to do um, I feel like uh, those are the types of stories I like to tell and the stories that I'm probably the best at telling for myself. Um, like I love, a, I love all sorts of movies, like personally to sit and watch. I love, you know, just a heartwarming drama, but I also sit there and I think there's no way I could direct or write something that even comes close to making people feel warm and fuzzy inside. You know, maybe some people they could do that, but for me, I just wouldn't even know where to start. I don't know, sometimes in, in some of your um, films, there's like some sort of like dramas going on, isn't there? Like, yeah. Kind of like happy moments somewhere. I yeah, think. I do think it's important within a horror film to try and have a whole range of emotions. I think with, with any movie, there should be like a huge range of emotions. Like if you can, if you're going to do stuff really scary and gory, uh, then in the same film, you should make some lighthearted, funny stuff because otherwise you've not got, you've not got the space to go you've not got that spectrum to travel throughout the story so it's going to be less effective um but yeah I mean I just I don't know why but I just always wanted to do horror movies um and then like you say the genre is so huge um that you know I, I could hopefully make horror films that are never similar if I wanted to, I could make sort of like gritty, backwards, gory horror, and then I could make sort of gothic, supernatural drama. And there'll be those are two totally different styles of movie and types of viewing experience, um, but it all comes under horror. And I guess it's just because I love so many different uh, categories of the genre that I just want to explore all of them, you know. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, like, House of Violent Desire. I watched that the other day, and that sort of, like, went everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, David, I want to ask you, how did you first meet Charlie? How did you get involved in the process? Was it, um, you know, did you know each other from way back, or was it casting, or what? what kind so, we've known each other for about five years, haven't we? Um, which, uh, surprisingly, I, I was at drama school um, in, in London and Charlie was at film school. Um, and literally, they were right opposite each other, but we didn't know that um, up until right at the end. And then, um, obviously, we, we met each other that way from just living locally. Mm. Um, and just, just like, I was an actor, he was a filmmaker. Just, just, so basically, through that, really. Mm. Um, and then we realised that we had horror in common, didn't we? Mm -hmm. we um, so, yeah, big, both big fans of horror. And it kind of just came from there, really. Um, and then Charlie was making uh, films, um, and then yeah, I've kind of kind of got it in that way. So, so yeah, we were basically training at the same time, just in two different establishments, just very close proximity of each other. Yeah. We? So when I wrote uh, Escape from Cannibal Farm, I wrote the part in it specifically for you. We had That's already a great name, it. by the way. That's a great title. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and then that uh, we, we had done another film, like a really small role for you before, but this was like, you know, properly written for you. And that was where we really got to work together. Yeah. So, so Charlie did uh, his first feature film was called Labyrinthia. Um, and before uh, I had I'd already I hadn't met him before he'd already made it. 
So he, he made it and then you were selling it to a distributor, weren't you? And they wanted an extra 15 minutes. Yeah, they wanted additional footage. Yeah. And by that point, I'd met Charlie and he was like, oh, I'm, I'm making finishing off my feature film with an extra 15 minutes. Do you want to play like a little role in it? So I did. It was just like kind of a cameo. Um, and that was our first time working together. And then he wrote Cannibal Farm part for me, which was which was good. Feels like a long time ago now, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, it feels like a really long time ago. Um we wanted to talk about a little bit more about your um, writing process, Charlie. Like, would you be able to talk to us a bit more about sort of how you approach that? Yeah, for sure. I mean, writing is my favourite part of all of it. Um, like, when I sit down to write something, I'm uh, in my scripts as well. I I write in pretty much everything. In like, I'll write in the music. I'll write in the lighting. I'll write in what shots I want where. When when it's specific and it needs to be in there. You know, I'll describe it all within the script. So really, the the whole script is a detailed plan of exactly what I want to shoot, ideally. Um, Then when it comes to shooting, because I'm always working with a low budget, uh, there's always things in the script that I can't actually execute how I want to. So I would always say I'm 100% happy with my scripts. And then when the film's finished, you know, you. I think this is the way with every film. You kind of just see like the script get more and more battered, and bits get cut out, and you miss this and you miss that, and you know that that really needed something totally extra on the day that you didn't have, so you just had to go with this, that, or the other. So you 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 just end up with what you can achieve, despite what it said in the script. You just got to do the best you can. So for example, like taking Escape from Cannibal Farm for an example. Uh, I'm really happy with the script. Now when you watch the film, I'm, I'm also happy with the film, but when you watch the film, there might be some plot holes here or there's this there that didn't quite make sense. And a lot of it is actually to do with, uh, you know, we missed that part of the script or that scene had to be cut or this was an effect that was really important, but we just couldn't pull it off. It didn't go to plan on the day and we didn't have the resources to do it properly. So that's just how it ends up. So sometimes you kind of, you you know, you look at the end result and it's not quite as good as the script. But yeah, what I love about a script is that you can write exactly as you want. You know, is the film perfect as you want it with direction and everything? Um, My process when it comes to actually doing the writing uh, it really depends uh, it depends whether I'm trying to do a film set in a certain genre uh, like for example Haunted House with an English haunting that was kind of the process for a script like that is I knew I wanted to do a Haunted House film because that's I basically wanted to make something that's quite commercial you know my previous couple of films The House of Violent Desire and Winter Skin they didn't get the releases that I wanted them to get. I don't think they got out there as much as I hoped they would get out there. And part of the reason for that is because they're both, in a way, uh, like original ideas that don't uh, draw upon something really familiar, like, for example, a haunted house. A haunted house is a really easy sell. So if I can make a haunted house movie that is not too violent because supermarkets, they won't take your film. It's it's the buyers for supermarket, uh, the DVD aisle, basically. It's the buyers uh, who choose what gets stocked in the supermarket. They don't want gory, splattery horror, uh, but they will take, you know, like a more subtle supernatural drama, like an English haunting. 
Um, and obviously you don't want to have sex in it and stuff because again, they're, they're not going to take that. So if you just give them like, you know, a straight down the line haunted house movie is super commercial. Um, so I basically knew that's what I want to do. Part of part of the agenda there was to make sure that it got a bit more of a wider release than my previous stuff. Um, so I looked to uh, haunted house movies that I find scary and also just, just things that I find scary myself. When I first came up with the idea, I wanted to make it about like uh, ghostly orbs flying around, you know, like uh, floating glowing spheres with mist and smoke coming off of them. Cause I thought that's something I've always found kind of spooky, but I've not, you don't really see it done very often. Um, so I came up with an idea for that. But when I actually looked into what scares me, I realized that to actually see the ghost or see like a supernatural apparition like that, as cool as the special effects might be, uh, it's not actually scary. It's more like fantastical. So I realized what isn't, what's scary to me is things you don't see. Uh, like it's scarier to see a door slightly open than to see it fling open and there's a scary girl with a pale face there. Um, so when I came to writing it, that was basically uh, just looking into what scares me, looking into what gets under my skin. And then uh, kind of like we were just saying earlier, the character and the drama and the emotions, that's always the most important part of the script, even if it, it doesn't matter if it's a low budget horror film or, or whatever, you know, your film still needs to have like a cool drama and, and sort of characters at the center of it. Um, so, you know, it's just finding an interesting character dynamic, this mother and her son who's kind of looking after her and then the granddad, you know, you just want to kind of create a family with dysfunction and drama. So you can kind of, there's something to explore and there's, there's a horror between the characters to exploit. And in fact, the ghosts in the film, you know, the mother character, she's haunted by a wine bottle rolling down the corridor for unknown reasons, or she looks in the sink and the sink's full of red wine, or, or it could be blood. It was that trope of seeing blood in the sink, but it could also have been red wine. She goes into the church and she sees uh, this vision of her ex-husband, uh, her, her ex boyfriend who should have been her husband you know and and her thoughts about uh it, it represents thoughts about you know that they should have got married and all these sorts of things so that's that's what she's haunted by I could have gone a route where she's just haunted by scary things I could have had you know undead corpses jumping out in the church or nuns with you know pale faces or whatever that's that's more scary and it's more commercial but as a writer, you want to come in at an angle where uh, you're starting with character and what, what affects those characters. I think in the long run, I'm hoping that that's what will make people revisit the film and find the film interesting. Uh, I hope that they stop watching the film and although it might not have been, you know, the thrill ride in the hour they watched it with ghosts jumping out of them, maybe a couple of days later, they remember, you know, that that character suffering with that you know dilemma in their life i guess it's just adding more layers to the characters isn't it and making them yeah. more like less one-dimensional i think so yeah exactly just, yeah hopefully that was um, conveyed anyway yeah, <laughs> yeah it seemed like that with the children you know finding the children's toy that's mysteriously at the the end of the you know the end of the um Cor corridor you know yeah. Yeah, when yeah. you see that you're like 
fuck you know where the hell did that come from because it just those sorts of things in movies they're just like unexplained and you're like oh i want to know more <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You see that david working with charlie you've worked with him over several movies now yes what, what does he let you have much input on your characters and does he over, over script writing ad-libbing anything like that you know it's it's really lucky to work because I, I i mean i've worked with several directors on, on stage and film um but with charlie it's it's really interesting because he knows exactly what he wants um so he kind of guide you and kind of letting him letting you know what he wants but he'll also give you enough space to kind of go with it yourself and kind of come up with ideas for yourself so you've got like a nice balance of him knowing what he wants but also allowing you to kind of take control a little bit so it's it's really nice to see you, you've got the reins but you've also kind of got the space to kind of play around with it a lot which is which is really nice and doesn't happen that often I, I don't I don't find especially with film kind of you kind of just do your thing they know exactly how they want it and you do it but with Charlie I, I feel like you kind of let me kind of explore it a lot more um yeah and, I mean, and with lots of other actors you do, you do that as well I'm is... always open I'm always open to actors changing things and coming in and mm. giving their ideas but it's also at the same time like quite a rare occurrence that they would actually want to do that because once you've sat down and you've discussed why this is in the script and why they say this line and why they say that line you know uh it just it's quite rare that no one really would want to add not, not anything like completely game changing or anything but like maybe like small details here and there um but yeah, yeah. we always have like a a long chat uh, for hours about the character before mm. before we do anything really don't we yeah but you're, you're always I always find you're very open to al allowing other suggestions and things which is which is nice you feel very kind of free on set you feel very comfortable on set yeah I mean the way I like to direct is I like I say the script is such an important part of it is that I'll sit down with the actor and the script in pre-production and we'll go through every single line and we'll talk about you know why are they saying this and, and what does all this mean and I'll listen to their ideas and they'll bring different things to it when I get to the set um, I know it's my job to guide the actors but for the most part if I've really done my job in pre-production and I've cast the right person and trustworthy actors that mm. I know can just get on with it like David for example I don't even need to speak to the actors on the set because you just you just crack on i mean the yeah you, you kind of know when when something's not going right because charlie will say something if, if, if he's kind of like letting you go with it it's kind of it, you kind of know it's kind of working kind of thing um but it's when he speaks up you're like oh that must have been not good <laughs> or something like that <laughs> <laughs> he'll, he'll let you know usually <laughs> an english haunting was a hard one because the location was so stunning you know everywhere you pointed the camera looked gorgeous mm. already um, and so if there was a bit of bad acting, it stood out like a sore thumb because everything else just looked wonderful. You know? I hope you don't mean me. Of course I do. <laughs> um, and, um, and like, for example, the camera we were using on this film for the first time, we had this gigantic lens, which the whole film is shot on this one same lens. We didn't ever change lens. It's just this huge zoom lens. Um, so everything through this amazing lens looks gorgeous as well. So really i didn't i was never needing to uh criticize the visuals so all my attention was focused on this one in particular on the actors which is which is actually quite nice in a way for the actors as well because mm. like 
a lot of time on set there's not a lot of time to really kind of hone in the actors and, and give so much details to them but with this one we, we were kind of spoiled for that really weren't we yeah we, kind we of, were and we did have a lot of time as well yeah it, it was nice because we were all in basically one location i know the house is huge but like we we were basically there the whole time so yeah we, we had a lot of time to really kind of talk about things and go into details and yeah just just kind of perfect all the like the little little things between, between yeah. the cast yeah, yeah. really i think mm -hmm. which was rare in a lot of films i mm. think yeah so that was that was really nice how long did it take to shoot that one about four weeks wasn't it yeah i can't i can't remember exactly how long it took but yeah it, it, it was about it was november till late november till late just before christmas so yeah it was about a month yeah about a month. yeah and then oh, it, oh it's cold then in that house <laughs> it was oh, quite cold yeah <laughs> it was there, there were certain like, there were certain rooms that had like lots of warmth in it, so you kind of just found yourself kind of gravitating to those. And then when you were like, "Oh, we need to film this scene in the basement," you're like, oh. <laughs> "You just got really nice and warm." Well, there's one scene. There's one scene where they go out to the graveyard to bury some bones. Yeah. And it was so cold on that night. I can't remember what the temperature was, but it was it was so freezing cold it was actually that, that it was actually it was. it was actually unbearable. And the scene yeah. in the film isn't, I don't think is ha how I wanted it to be. And it's not really as written, but I would just, I just wanted to get out of there because it was so horrible. The it, it was like the middle of December, that graveyard scene. It was yeah. so cold. And <laughs> Jess, Jess, who plays the maid, she was just wearing like a really flimsy dress. Um, and she was just like traumatized, just like frozen. Like she couldn't even speak. Yeah. It was so cold. <laughs> you got a crack an eye for detail and those sorts of things though like if you look at like winter skin like in particular i was watching that the other day the breath you can see i don't know if that was filmed <laughs> if that was on purpose or it was generally cold that was real breath <laughs> uh, so you know we were just saying how cold an english haunting was um it was that like english haunting was felt like summer compared to winter skin oh okay the coldest i've ever been in my entire life i i can't believe i didn't get ill like, I was just so, we yeah. were just so cold. This is the problem with, with shooting. I mean, it's, it, when you shoot a horror film, you're going to get cold anyway because everyone's getting blood thrown at them. And it's just, it's, I mean, filming just generally is, is a grueling experience. Like, naturally, you're going to be cold and tired. Um, on your films. <laughs> yeah, but um, especially if you're shooting in January. So, like, we shot Winter Skin in January. Yeah. Uh, it was on a set that was built outdoors. Um, so you may, as, you may as well just been outside, and it was all night shoots, and it was freezing, freezing cold. I just couldn't believe how cold it was. Like, I didn't know whether it could get that cold. It was like, horrific. Um, and um, then uh, I just shot, I just finished shooting a film called A Werewolf in England, and that was back in January and February. And again, you know, it gets to midnight and uh, set in the Victorian period, and it, everyone's doing all these different scenes people are in dresses and stuff and it's just everyone's freezing cold it just always seems to happen doesn't it <laughs> well you always pick january and winter <laughs> yeah. but, but with winter skin like obviously it was freezing in january um and then we did the exterior scenes in lapland in march um oh, it was like obviously full of snow and everything um but that was nowhere near as cold as it was in the uk in january yeah in, surprisingly in enough. lapland we were just <laughs> we were just laying in the snow and 
It's quite Jumping warm actually. Like it. it didn't make any sense. It was like minus twenty, but yeah. like you wouldn't have known it. It was nowhere near as cold as it so was here. Yeah, UK winters they're the worst. Mm, yeah, don't we know it. So your there's one other thing. Your movies are like um full of full of practical effects, mm. which is one of the things that like I think like stands out. And like David especially, <laughs> how do you cope with getting absolutely rinsed with blood? Because <laughs> like you. Pre- you go through the ringer. You yeah, through the ringer. It's, it's quite nice. <laughs> um, <laughs> I actually quite enjoy it. Actually, I, like I mean, in Charlie's films, you just you know you're just going to end up like covered in blood and cold and all that. But um, it's it's all part of the fun. Actually, I I really like enjoy kind of getting drenched in blood. You also feel like you you've done a proper day's work that way as well. Um, but yeah, it's it's, it's fun actually. I like it. <laughs> It's a choice of monsters as well that you use in your movies. If you oh. think like what we've seen in Winter Skin and even in um, an English Haunting, like <laughs> the ghost, the where do you get these? Like, what's your like special effects team like behind you? Do you use the same well, one? Well, basically, no. What I'll do is if I'm coming up with an idea, for example, like an English Haunting, uh, like with an English Haunting, I wanted to see the ghost really briefly. I didn't want to. I think maybe the ghost has. 10 seconds of screen time in the whole film probably but I thought in that time I really want to see something that's not just a ghost not just like a creepy face but something really disgusting um so I'll just sort of I'll look all over the place I mean there's so many online uh, effects workshops and places like that where you can just see what's out there and uh, silicone masks and things like that um I mean the biggest the biggest job I've ever had to do is uh, on the one I just shot a werewolf in England we've got these three gigantic werewolves running around Um, so you just look online and uh, you know it all gets shipped over from places in America usually and you just speak to the creators at the studios and tell them what you want and they'll uh, create and design these things for you so yeah and then you had um, Kate Griffith on winter skin she was a she did the makeup effects for the skinned creature yeah well on on winter skin I went to all these different people because also you know budget comes into it as well sometimes I want to show things but I actually can't afford to get the monster I want um so on winter skin I I shopped all around looking for someone who could make me a full body skinned alive person suit and the budgets that were coming back were so expensive to do all the tendons and all the veins and stuff but um i managed to get in touch with a really great uh uk based uh makeup artist who came and uh did it sort of is a bit more of a diy style but it just took her hours and hours um and all the little attention to detail uh, she made she just she basically it's basically makeup it's not a suit that you can just put on an office makeup that someone has to sit there and have it applied to them for hours and hours um but that's how we did there's two skinned alive people in uh winter skin and that's how we did it just with uh it's latex put onto bare flesh um so the actors are basic they're almost just fully naked you know just stood there it's bare flesh so they were the ones who got really really cold <laughs> and then you know painted head to toe in fake blood and all this sort of stuff and prosthetics of uh you know like skeleton faces stuck onto their face and a bold cap and then you know it's four o'clock in the morning and they're in the bath and I'm like scrubbing it off them with a with a hard brush like trying to use bleach to like peel it off it was a quite um 
challenging <laughs> job for those people. Yeah. <laughs> well, it looked great. It looked great. Um, going, going back to locations, uh, just quickly, because the locations you use are obviously really beautiful, beautiful places and stuff. Um, how do you acquire these such beautiful, like, mansions? Yeah. Wow. Just like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, the location is, when it comes to making a movie, the location for me is the most important part because a lot of the times it's also the most expensive part. Mm. So, for example, with an English haunting, you know, it's the location that came first. I, I decided I wanted to make a haunted house movie once I had the haunted house. You know, if it had been a little hut in the woods, it would have been a hut in the woods movie. You know, it, would, it wouldn't have been a haunted house movie. But, um, and it's just been by pure luck that, uh, you know, you put it out there that you're a filmmaker and you're always making stuff, you're always working with different people and people are always popping up saying, I have this location, I have that location. And when something really spectacular comes along, like the castle in the House of Violent Desire, um, you just say, great, like, I'm going to write a whole film based around this location. Um, and so with uh, An English Haunting, um, back uh, probably around the time, I was, it was probably before I made Escape from Cannibal Farm, um, I was doing some corporate video jobs, and one of them led me to... Uh, the place, this mansion, uh, where we filmed an English haunting. And I remember just seeing it and thinking, this just looks like a horror movie. You know, it was a, I was doing a corporate video for uh, like a clay pigeon shooting event. Um, and they were like giving us a tour of the grounds. And we even, we walked past the greenhouse that you see in the film. And I'm just looking at this greenhouse, like this is straight out of a horror movie. Like I'm picturing scenes of a haunted house movie Set in, set in this greenhouse here so I, so you know in times like that you want to get friendly with the owners you want to make sure you stay in touch with the owners you know we went we went out to the pub after the video days and you know got to know them a bit more um and then it just dawned on me at one point um you know i, I had the money to it was a rare it was a rare circumstance with this film because um someone came to me, an investor came to me and said, here's the money to make a film. But they didn't ask for, they didn't care what film it was. They didn't ask for it. Usually someone says, we, we want a werewolf film. Do you want to take the job? And then it's up to me to come up with the script and come up with how I'm going to make this werewolf movie. Um, but in this case, I just had money to make whatever I wanted to make. Yeah, it was quite lucky how everything kind of just slotted into place with this one, really, wasn't it? Exactly. So, so I thought to myself, well, what what should I do? And uh, I just thought, well, I need to use that house. You know, this was about two years later, I think. It was um, more than that. Might have even been more than that. Uh, so, you know, I'd waited around for a couple of years knowing that I could potentially use this location. But now that I had the money from this investor, I thought this is the right time to make this haunted house movie. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, just I mean, sort of got so lucky with, with the location for that film just yeah so it's, it's, the house is just amazing it's always luck i mean the werewolf film that i shot earlier this year is also set in a huge mansion um and it's set in the victorian era so even older than an english haunting but we just we couldn't you know you can't find you can't find something like that especially if you want three werewolves running around and completely trashing the place so <laughs> we had to build that house from scratch 
you know, which is actually like double the cost of actually just going out on location and also looks half as good because it's not the real thing. You've had to make it yourself from scratch, you know. So where are you, where are you from, Charlie? Are you like from the West Country? Yeah, I'm from Bristol, yeah. You're from Bristol, yeah. So is that where you, so you knew about the Kent and Avon Canal then for uh, for barge yeah, people? Yeah. So the, <laughs> well, for the barge people, um, this, the script came to me um, and, you know, I read it and I loved that it. it was set on the canal. And then I was born in Bristol, but I grew up most of my childhood um, living in a tiny little village called Hilperton, which is in Wiltshire near Trowbridge. Nice. And that's uh, like five minutes from where I used to live. That's where the canal is. Um, and I took everyone to that exact canal to make the film, because when I was younger, I used to, uh, you know, cycle around and play in the woods and play by the canal and play in the fields. And in my head, I've got this like nostalgic vision of like, you know, these perfect summers that you see in films like Stand By Me or something like that. So when I read the script of the barge people, I wanted I wanted this paradise, uh, you know, countryside landscape. So that's why I went there, uh, literally went back to my childhood. And in fact, while we were filming, I was while we were filming on the canal, I was staying with a childhood, like my childhood best friend. I was staying in his house. He still lived there with his parents, who I probably hadn't really seen in like five years or so. So it's kind of like surreal where these films take you sometimes. Nice. Oh, it's only half an hour from us. <laughs> yeah, it's on the road. When we, we saw, we obviously saw Barge People at Fright Fest mm. last year, based purely on the poster really yeah like literally that's the only the, the poster art was just like we looked at it and went yeah that's our movie that's our type of movie <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, that, and we like in mind we like to go in line to a lot of our movies we don't really yeah. dry up as much yeah. but the poster just caught our eye didn't it it was just amazing yeah it was absolutely incredible um i just want to know how your fright fest was yeah it was uh it was really i really loved it i mean i've been i think that's the fourth year i've been to fright fest and every year I've submitted a movie. And then finally, uh, that year, one of them got in. So it was like, and I tell you, when you're, when you're a filmmaker with your movie playing there, you get a lot more out of the festival because, <laughs> you know, you're allowed to go and see, uh, you're allowed to go and see every other movie for free, which was really nice. I mean, that was your favourite part, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, a lot of the filmmakers are all sort of getting drunk down the in the bar. Uh, but I was like, you know, I'm a huge horror fan myself. And I'm not only that, I'm a huge fan of a lot of the filmmakers who have their movies playing. So people, you know, trying to get me to come and have a lunch with this person or come and have a drink with this person. I'm like, forget that. So-and-so's new movie's playing. I'm desperate to see it. I'm, go I'm going. I'm there. Um, so it was really fun watching loads of stuff and not having to pay for it. Um, and then the Barge People screening itself, I mean, it, it was comfortable because I'd already shown it to a, a lot of people because we, we do our own sort of cast and crew and family and friends screenings before we go ahead and do the the big festival screenings so i'd already watched it in a room full of like a hundred family and friends um and that's that's quite daunting because the people actually they know you um and they're a lot of the time they're a lot of my friends are also like industry you know actors and directors you really value their opinions as creative people so that's really daunting and then uh when it got to fright fest um 
Well, I just, I mean, I, I actually, uh, this was helped a lot by just the vibe in the room. Like, it just felt like everyone really wanted to be there to watch the movie. And then at the end of the movie, it felt like they'd all enjoyed the movie. So it just made it, it made it really easy. It just, I just felt like uh, sat among horror fans just watching a movie as a horror fan. And that's kind of how I judge my own movies at the end of the day. Like, I'm not one of these directors who I get to the end of the film and I, watch it and I'm trying to sort of delude myself with my ego trying to think I've made the next masterpiece or something I kind of get to the end of it and it's like I can see where the budget you know wasn't there and I can see where I screwed this bit up uh, but you just sort of got to get on with it and make sure the next film's better and you just judge it as a horror fan you know can I sit down on a casual Friday night with popcorn and enjoy the movie I'm not gonna look into every little detail and make a song and dance about how hard it was to get this prop or this costume like in a way my memory just kind of wipes itself at the end of the process and you just take it as a film and watch it as a horror fan so that's basically what I did in the audience at Fright Fest just sat there and watched it and I quite like the movie so um, you know I, I quite enjoy watching that one back out of all of my movies uh, so it was a really good time. Yeah, it was a really fun watch for us. We stuck it in our top 10 for the year, didn't we, Matt? Yeah. <laughs> That's it was, it was, and that was a good year last year for horror. That was that was amongst the cracker. We just um, came out smiling and that was like, that's all we wanted. Yeah, that's isn't it, from a horror film, is it? You just want to come out, yeah, enjoyed that, kind of. It's like, really. it's like, did you get to see Bliss yet? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's a lot of blood in that. <laughs> And we just watched the other day VFW, his new. Oh movie. yes, yeah, we did. Which we also enjoyed, yeah. Yeah, it was a good yeah. isolation film. <laughs> that, that's um, that's right up my street. Like they live and all that sort of stuff. Like John Carpenter, the sort of style. Yeah, really enjoyed that one. Um, if you had an opportunity to like pimp your movie, the new one, and an English haunting, yeah. what would you, how would you um sort of tell our listeners about it? What would you say uh, it's about? I would basically say, um, <clears throat> in terms of the story, well, it's a very, it's a very old-fashioned uh, haunted house movie. It's a throwback to sort of the haunted house stuff of the sixties and seventies. Yeah, it's definitely um, got a like kind of nineteen sixties, seventies BBC feel to it, kind of thing. Yeah, and it's about, um, it's about a young guy played by David called Blake, and him and his mother who. Uh, she's a bit of a character. She's suffering from alcoholism and they've recently, uh, their family's recently been broken apart. The dad's left. Um, they go off to live in this huge, creepy mansion uh, where the grandfather of your character um, is sort of in a bit of a comatose state uh, and is uh, there's been creepy goings on in the house um, and you guys sort of settle in to look after him and as the film goes on it unravels that uh, it's not a natural reason that's got him in this comatose state he's been this grandfather's been dabbling with some you know occult things Witchcraft he should have done and, paganism and, and uh, there's a very there's a very sinister plot underway that is going to put Blake and his mother in deadly danger yeah and obviously my character is the kind of the one trying to unravel the mystery kind of like kind of like a bit of a woman in black type vibe um with the, yes. the characters like gradually unraveling new kind of things about the house so yeah it's, it's very much got that kind of feel to it as well and 
and very similar to the changeling as well like it's, it's kind yeah, of got if, vibes if, of those if you like horrors. the sort of if you like the subtle slow burning scary horrors i mean like i was saying earlier it's heart i was most focused on the drama of the film um, which, you know, I was saying that I idolise Stephen King. I think his horror films and stories are the best because, you know, his main focus is on the characters. Um, so uh, it's a character-driven, subtle, old-fashioned supernatural ghost story. Yeah, it's, it's like kind of a, a lot of it, there's a lot of subtleties in there um, and it's a bit of a slow burn but then it kind of really does build kind of a frantic finale, doesn't it? Don't spoil um, it. No, no, I'm not, no, I'm not spoiling it, but yeah. That's my surprise. <laughs> there's lots in there. There's lots of, yeah, different things in there. And it's, <laughs> it's probably my my favourite film that I've, I've filmed. Favourite film you've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> my favourite film, the film that David's I... David's favourite film of all time. It's not my favourite film. It's a good film, but it's... No, it's not my favourite film of all time. But it's definitely the one where I had the, the best experience in, I think. So, um, yeah. I, I very much enjoyed it. That's awesome. Um, I had one more before I'm going to quickly pass over to Matt. Um, Dark Temple Pictures, mm-hmm. right? Do you remember ever watching the movies with Orion? You know, yeah. the start, right, Orion? You've got this, like, I don't know who built the, the start of it, uh-huh. but you've got a nostalgia built from your start of your movies already. Yeah, yeah. You, you realise you that. <laughs> yeah, because, like, every time I watch one of your movies, that... <laughs> That thing and the sound that you bring up at the start, it, it gets me every time. It's <laughs> really incredible. Video shop kind of era, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, well, that, well that's good to hear because that's the intention basically is, you know, uh, uh, I suppose we have it these days with like when you put in uh, an Arrow video DVD, it comes up with that logo. Mm. And, you know, I was looking at one of my Arrow DVDs the other day and I realised I'd bought that, it's more than 10 years ago that I bought that DVD and I'm thinking... You know, I was, you know, 16 years old when I sat and watched that movie. And it kind of it is nostalgic to see that come up at the front of a movie. So when it came to designing my own logo and, and sort of making my own brand, uh, basically with Dark Temple, the whole point of putting Dark Temple out there as a company is, you know, I want it to be a brand that when you put the film in, you know, you're going to get uh, you know what you're going to get. You know, you're going to get this certain style of horror movie. Eventually, I would like it that it's not just me directing movies that are coming out called Dark Temple. You know, maybe there'll be other directors who I'll be able to link up with the fund and I'll be able to oversee the production of their movie as well um, of similar sort of retro styled horror things. You know, yeah, we'll be in touch. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Well, basically, that's been great, guys, but we want to know what is going to be next so you've obviously mentioned a couple of things yeah so what, what's next for you guys well what i'm currently working on in uh, post-production is a film called a werewolf in england um which i'm not in which david's not in <laughs> which, uh, it's my it's definitely my biggest film that i've done so far in terms of just everything the scale of it the budget of it um and this was a production company came to me and said they wanted me to make them a werewolf movie uh, so I sort of pitched a few ideas and they really liked the idea of setting it in the Victorian era, um, which kind of turned out to be a bit of a pain in the ass because mm. it's kind of expensive to make a film yeah, set in the Victorian curious. era. Mm. Um, so logistically, you know, logistically, I've gone all out on this movie. I mean, basically until a week before the lockdown, 
since New Year's Day, I've been working on the movie, uh, you know, like properly in the set, drilling the set together, wallpapering it, painting it, buying props, you know, just getting everything done. And then even at one point during the shoot, I had to hop into one of the werewolf outfits because we needed a few werewolves on screen. So just like, you know, it's just totally taken over my year up until this point. Um, and in terms of a, in terms of a movie, that is basically, uh, I'd say tonally, I'm inspired by stuff like The Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2 with that sort of movie. So it's a it's a really silly Victorian era. Uh, it's not a comedy because it's, it's, it is scary and it's extremely gory, um, but it's a proper splattery, action-packed werewolf movie with uh, lots and lots of werewolf action. Um, so that's in post-production at the moment. You've got two other films coming out as well, haven't you? Yeah, well, and, and before that, I completed a movie called, well, they, the company have called it uh, Vampire Virus, Um which wasn't like your title, was it? Which wasn't the title we shot the film <laughs> under, but that's what they wanted. Um, which is, uh, is, is a very different style of movie for me. It's set in the modern day, um, but it's kind of it's kind of taken on a bit of like a 80s erotic thriller style, even though it's set in modern day America. And it's about a girl who, uh, she's sort of a very shy girl, but she gets coaxed into going on a night out with her friends and ends up being seduced by this very sexy Spanish girl who turns out to be a vampire and uh, infects her in some way. And then her body starts to change and she starts to get ill. And she basically needs to figure out, you know, uh, how to sort of beat this vampire virus that she's got. So that's that film. And uh, that film's totally completed and probably will be coming out at some point later this year. Um, and then there's also another film uh, which has been like a dream project of mine that I shot uh, about a year ago now. Um, I flew over to Tennessee and shot this movie. It's called Death Ranch. Um, and it's set in the 1970s, and it's a sort of grindhouse, black exploitation style revenge thriller, um, which is, I mean, I'm really interested to see how basically everyone reacts to the film because it's got some controversial elements, and um, not to mention the fact that it's just it's so grotesque some of the gore in the film like it's, it's so graphic uh it's by far my most violent film um but it, but it's got that sort of sleazy grindhouse feel to it where you sort of you're watching it and you're probably thinking oh i shouldn't i shouldn't be seeing this sort of stuff or, you know i shouldn't be finding this funny but it's so over the top and so grotesque that it becomes funny um but that's about um three black siblings who are on the run um, and they take refuge at this this old creepy ranch um, and everything's kind of happy and nice for the first 15 minutes of the movie and we get to know these characters um, and then in the night time there's a bit of a commotion heard in the woods and the lead character goes out to investigate and finds a gigantic cross burning and a huge horde of KKK uh, attacking and killing uh, this black girl and uh, our lead character has a sort of moment where he has to make a choice does he go and get his siblings and they just leg it or does he save this uh, girl from getting killed by these KKK members um, and he decides to intervene which uh, 
doesn't end well at first for the for the whole uh, for all the characters, but it is essentially, without totally spoiling the film, it's a revenge movie where the black characters get their revenge on the KKK and come out triumphant in the most gory and splattery manner you could possibly imagine. <laughs> yes. so, so in some ways, it's a feel-good movie, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's 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 crazy. So I can't oh wait to show God. everyone that one. Yeah, that sounds right in my wheelhouse. What was that dodgy Mexican movie that we saw at um, Fright Fest, Matt? Do you remember the name of that one? Oh, not that, no. That had real sex in it. It was just weird. <laughs> it was, and it had Danny Trejo for about two minutes. Yeah. <laughs> you got Danny Trejo in your one? He needs to pop up in every movie. He's <laughs> on, on my list. Next time, yeah. <laughs> well, um, I think we're at the end, really. Um, and nothing else to say but thanks so much for coming on really appreciate having thanks it. for having us yeah really enjoyed it coming on it's um, been really really interesting really good fun um and um when are you going to make barge people too so we can be in <laughs> <laughs> well the the barge people will actually be coming out on dvd finally this year like the whole film has been a really long slow process um all i know at the moment is that it comes out in germany in july um and then uh and i know we have deals with other countries i'm just sitting here waiting i mean i've been waiting like 10 11 12 months for some of these deals to finally get to the stage where yeah where the dvd comes out which isn't unusual um but you know it's on the way so we'll see we'll see how successful it is (laughs) what is this because we had um book of monsters two years ago at fright fest and it went all around the world and then uk was last so is that going to be the case with this one yeah sometimes isn't it yeah i mean look what happened with cannibal farm it was out everywhere other than the uk yeah i mean sometimes that is the case and the uk is actually a really tough market for Mm. uh like indie horror films and in fact even you know just there's a load of horror movies made by really top directors out there that you know i'm desperate to see and still like a couple of years down the line like they're still not even out here like an example like uh What's the name of the film? Is it Tigers Are Not Afraid? Oh. Everyone everyone is raving about this horror movie. I can't even buy it on DVD here. Like, come on. Like, everyone's raving about this film. It's on Shudder. Oh, it's on Shudder, is it? Yeah, I'll lend, I'll lend you my details so you can sign on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, is, that is an incredible movie. I think, I think it came to Shudder, like, fairly. It wasn't, it wasn't. Uh, it's like fairly recently has managed to come to Shudder. I just remember there was such a long wait for that movie to finally get to the UK. Um, and there's still movies that, uh, still a load of horror movies that I really want to see that you just can't even get here. So it's, it's even more amazing that um, An English Haunting came out on schedule in the middle of a pandemic. So <laughs> with all these obstacles, that still came out. So yeah, it's, it's weird, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's a strange game, that's for sure. But thank, thanks for coming on, guys. Really, really appreciate that. Um, where can people find you on social media or, or even if they've got anything that they want to get in contact with you? Yeah, if you find me on Twitter, I'm at Dark Temple Films. Uh, and Instagram, I think I'm just, I think just type Charlie Steeds and I'll come up on Instagram. Yeah, and um, I'm on Instagram as um, at David Lenick and same with Twitter as well. Fantastic, guys. Thank you so much for being on. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Oh. 
Thanks so much, Charlie and David, for doing that. That was absolutely spot on. We had a great hour in the week and it, it was just really, really nice talking to you. Just let's go out for a beer anytime. <laughs> it was just quality. In the next movie. Yes, please. Uh, we weren't joking about being extras. Just <laughs> <laughs> um, let's, let's do it. Right then. Um, I think it's about time we move on to our move from the vault. Let's do it. So, this episode's movie from the vault is 1986's The Fly. A brilliant but eccentric scientist begins to transform into a giant man-fly hybrid after one of his experiments goes horribly wrong. Worst synopsis ever of a movie. Thanks, I don't know, it wasn't too bad. <laughs> man-fly. Man-fly. You can't like sum this film up in a synopsis, man. So where are we going to start with this one? Oh, mate. I just, like, I want to I wanna talk about when I watched this as a kid. Um, and I and this may be going back to the... Com- I, w- I wanted to save this one because I don't think I got the appreciation for this movie as much as I did for watching it the other day. Um, although I remember so many... The specific bits I remember from it were pretty much like... Oh, the, 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 always the arm wrestling scene was always the one that stuck with me from when I was a kid. Um, but I don't know. Th- this time around, I got lost in it. I was absolutely blown away by by this watch. I I found it incredible. I wanted to watch it again straight away afterwards. It was one of my favourite things I've watched this year. It was absolutely stunning. And to watch it on Blu-ray as well, to watch a Blu-ray copy, non-grainy. It was really, really nice. I love Jeff Goldblum and fucking anything. I mean, this movie, for anyone who doesn't know, stars Jeff Goldblum, uh, Gina Davis. Um, it's just... And it's directed by the fucking great david cronenberg it's such a cool movie yeah i think goldblum should have got the oscar for it <laughs> totally yeah, I think he's amazing. Look, looking back at it what he went for what he what, what he had to go through and like the different stages in um the movie like how, how he flips from this really nervous oh, i want to say nervous but i do want to say i do want to say nervous i think he was a little bit introvert a little bit unaware, unaware of the world, a bit mad scientist sort of thing. And then when he gets what happens to him, happens to him, he does flip and you see this complete contrast in the character and stuff like that. He just goes through different levels throughout the movie. I what was the moment when he first comes out, I noticed this time around. As soon as he goes through, as soon as he comes out, he's just a little bit off. He's like, he goes from being quite passive to like really aggressive. And like, he's definitely not, his personality has changed instantly. Although the metamorphosis comes later, but from the moment he steps out, he, if, this time watching it, I was like, oh fuck, yeah, he's, he's already different. You can tell he's different straight away. He's holding himself different. He's standing different. It's like shoulders, everything about the way his posture, his move, his eyes, everything about his um, demeanor has changed completely. I think he's... I think he's a bit, I don't know if he's a bit slopey slo- shoulders, but it's, it, there's something that you just so apparent, you're like, oh, fuck. There's, there's a, and, then, uh, and you know Gina notices it. I mean, fuck me. She's like, she's frothing at the gash, pretty much. Like, <laughs> yeah, you won't stop banging her. <laughs> she's a dirty little slut. Let's talk about her. You know, he's a, I feel he's a bit innocent, really. 
and mm-hmm. she's kind of like taking advantage of him. Yeah. So, yeah. Did anyone else feel that? <laughs> a, a little bit. I think, well, I know it's this time around as well. I mean, I have watched this film multiple times, as you say. Like, it's, it's one of my favourites, to be fair. Um, as, a, as you say, though, as a kid, you watch it and you're mostly into it for the nasty and stuff, all the, the gooey gore and everything. And as I've gone on, I've watched it as I've got older and I find little, little bits, like, as you say, very multi-layered. There's so much going on in it that, I, you know, I've just, I've never picked up on before. And this time around, I noticed that it's a complete role reversal. Like, he starts off innocent and becomes essentially the bad guy. She starts out being a bit of a bitch, to be honest. She just wants to use him for, like, her own games, really, to be, you know, to boost her career and get the story and whatnot. Her boss is a complete massive dick and turns out to be the hero by the end because he literally <laughs> saves the day. And then, um, yeah, it's just weird. It's like how the, the sweet and innocent guy goes from being one thing to the complete monster by the end. Um, yeah, and as I say, and she, and essentially, she, she does a 180 because she, as I say, she starts off being quite a bitch and then when he's really in a bad way, you can tell that she really loves him and she she's going to check up on him all the time and doesn't really want to leave him, to be fair, and wants to see him get through, but must be hard. I mean, he's a monster, isn't it? <laughs> I know, man. And I really got, I really got a bit of bee in my bonnet this time about the ex. Not, not a fly. <laughs> he was a fucking asshole, and yeah. I didn't like the fact that they did. They sort of turned him. Was he still a cunt at the end? I'm not sure. I, at the end, I felt was he supposed to be a hero at the end? I don't know. He's essentially a stalker, right? He's basically basically stalking her, like st- holding on to a fucking um, key. So I'm not gonna <laughs> give, I'm not gonna give the key back just in case you come around. Like, I don't know. I mean, I've had, I've had plenty of ex-girlfriends like that as well, really, to be fair. <laughs> yeah. Some people are just a bit overly sleazy. Now, I don't say he's a stalker, but he is a bit... Nah, of... he's a stalker. He's, what, he's following her in the car? He's turning yeah. up while she's shopping? Yeah, They're having a big fucking the... row in the shopping centre. It's a love triangle, though, isn't it, essentially? I mean, he's obviously in love with her still, and he's probably he, he, he's got a weird way of going about it, though, isn't he? I think that's the thing. That's the, the, the and that's the thing I take away. This horror film really is essentially is a romance, romance drama at, at its core, and it's about relationships between people as well. Definitely, definitely. What about you, man? What do you think about it? I, I, well, two things about this movie. One, I fucking love it, and two, this has made me realise that I actually love Jeff Goldblum. He is fucking hench in this movie. <laughs> He's beautiful. He's a beautiful man. <laughs> oh, he's got a great he head of hair. He's a beautiful man in this movie. He's got well, hair. And look at the look at his muscles. He's in great shape in this. Yeah, he's like over yeah. six foot four or something, and he's like in the, the best shape he's ever been. Although you can definitely tell this time when watching it on Blu-ray that when he's doing the gymnastic scenes and that, he's just some guy in like a, a wig. <laughs> right, I was watching this very closely when he was doing this. I was like, because I wanted Matt's facts later and stuff like that. So I'm hoping Matt's got some from Beauties for that later. Because I was like, okay, they, did, they, they, done, they didn't do the 80s trope. You know when you go back and watch a movie and you're like, you can definitely tell the switch. They were very clever with the fucking camera as in yeah. to not reveal so much that it was a different person you knew it was but at the same time they didn't do the obvious switch which i quite liked the yeah. camera angles were slightly different to allow you that extra bit of mystery i yeah. quite like that it was well done though it was really well done i think you oh, did yeah. 
you, you, as you say, you're looking for it though as well. That's the problem. Yeah, absolutely. I've never noticed it. But with with Jeff Jeff Goldblum's performance, like John said earlier, Oscar worthy man. It's just like the way from the start, and then how he progresses. Just the little things, just the tiny little things, like the eye movements, hmm. like the way he flitters, it's left to right, left to right, and it's like he's already changing into this thing. And um, I just the, the the one scene that stuck out the most for me, especially when I was a kid. And if I couldn't remember anything else, the one scene—I know this is a bit strange—but was the donut scene where he literally just froze up on the donuts because it, I didn't even know that that's so like spontaneous and and just like happens. You don't even expect it. And it just freaked me out. I was like, especially when I was a kid, because I, I had a thing about puking, and then I like see he's just eating a donut and it just comes out. <laughs> like, oh my fucking god! It's so gross. But. For me, it's for me, it's the arm wrestling one because hmm. it was the first time in the first movie where I think I'd seen anything where you. It was so like that. Like, the the bone, the fucking break, and they focus. They do a shot where you can see the fuck. There's no need for it. <laughs> there's no need for it apart from like, the Cronenberg movie. But you can see the bone sticking out. You're like fuck. I, I love the fact as well that that woman just like agrees to the bet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You is a, is she a prostitute, it. or is she just just a slang? I think just meant to be some sort of slang. <laughs> oh, she's she's naughty. She is proper naughty. Um, Would you not be impressed though, like if some geezer was arm wrestling for you and then he ended up breaking the other guy's arm? Yeah, but she like... was there. She basically told us, right, as the audience, that she definitely has slept with both of these people that were going for the arm wrestling. She's, and now tonight she's deciding which one she's going to sleep with based on an arm wrestle. And then, <laughs> Jeff, and then Jeff Goldblum comes in and goes, well, I'm going to beat him and then you're going to sleep with me. And, and she's like, fair enough. But then she gets, somehow she gets knackered on the stairs. She's, ah, oh, mate, I'm, I'm getting second thoughts. Is she getting second thoughts? And he's just like, yoink. No, nope, I'm going to run you up the bloody stairs. No, I think that was to imply that they've been out on like party. Yeah, they've been out till early hours of the morning. Yeah. Yeah. Right, okay, okay. And but, I mean, it was the 80s, you know. I mean, some guy at work was telling me in the 80s, all he'd have to do is walk into like the pub and he's, he's a bit naughty, this guy, and he'd be like, he'd throw like a little bag of cocaine on the, on the, on the bar <laughs> and the girl would look at him and he'd say, you want to come back with me? And she'd be like, yeah, okay. <laughs> and that was it. <laughs> and he said he used to do it all the time. <laughs> So, who knows? Oh, I mean, she, she, she was the only one rocking the double denim. <laughs> yeah. To be fair, you know. I quite like the um, I quite, quite like the denim jacket and just pants look. To be honest, <laughs> yeah, that was a good one. <laughs> no nipples in this. I don't think there was one nipple in this movie. Oh, nearly. There was nearly. Yeah, that's one thing. Is of nearly. You know, Gina Davis has got them out in another movie, which she didn't in this one. I have got a thing for Gina. I realised that I watching this again. I I, I knew I did. But Gina, I got a thing for Gina Davis. She's Big quite time. Thelma, yeah. Thelma Louise. Yeah. I love that. Beetlejuice. League of Their Own. Maybe not so much League of Their Own, but like you know. But what about the Long Kiss Goodnight? Long Kiss Goodnight. She's hot in that. <laughs> that is a great movie. Yeah. Yeah. You've just given I, us a list of movies you ranked over. <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> I mean, she fucks Brad Pitt. Am I right? Doesn't she fuck Brad Pitt in Thelma and Louise? 
Yeah, yeah, she does. Yeah, yeah. it's a nice fuck though. It's a nice romantic. Fuck. <laughs> yeah, because her husband just gives it to her, and that's that's what makes her realise she don't want to go back home. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but essentially, this story is just wonderful. Like, it is a story of like, you know, you you could put this up there, and I really do feel this way. Like, as a classic, it's a Frankenstein um s dracula he's a he's a to me he's like a classic it's a classic monster movie yeah i was getting proper That's classic hard. vibes this time around at the end when he jumps through the window and he just whisks her up in his arms mm. and walks off with her that's such a classic horror image yeah. imagine frankenstein walking back with like a universal like a, special yeah like notre dame yeah. like you know the hunchback of notre dame and stuff like yeah. that. you can see that real you know it is universal yeah, that, that one line this is like it's prolific it's just like it's one of the best one-liners ever be afraid be very afraid oh yeah it's just like that's when you hear that it's classic yeah. man classic yeah. that, that scene always makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up as well when he goes into the whole insect politics speech which is mm. like well, what do you mean and he's like i'm gonna hurt you if you stay <laughs> and it's just like what yeah. oh no now he's completely gone now you know it's like there's not much left of him anymore no it's so dark and his ear falls off and <laughs> let's, 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 mean, let's, let's, let's touch on the effects because that first bit where he's kind of looking in the mirror he literally is squirting that shit out of his fingers <laughs> oh my god that's disgusting and like, there's, there's a point where he opens I'm pretty sure he opens the cabinet and I'm pretty sure it's his cock in a jar. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, think yeah. it might be his testicles as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know it's it. his cock is definitely in the jar, but I there's two balls. I think he's got his testicles in there as well. Just in mm. case. Ah, yeah. it's and so he calls it the yeah. museum of Seth. I can't remember <laughs> the name, but Yeah, you can't it. even you can't even comprehend the amount of like work that went into the practical effects in this at all, really. This watch, this time around, and I, I, I know you might, some people might beat me up um, about this. I didn't actually write down the um, special effects guy of Chris it. Chris Wallace. Chris Wallace, which is, he's famous for Gremlins and all that sort of stuff. So Chris Wallace, yeah. I think that's um, how he actually even got Gremlins. Eh? I think that's actually how he even got no, Gremlins. No, he did Gremlins right. before. Gremlins was Gremlins. before. Gremlins was 84. Was he on Gremlins too? No, because he was directing The Fly 2 at the time. Yes. He was ah, there. that's it, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Good knowledge, good knowledge. Um, but... I knew we had you on for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> um, was it, what was I saying? Yeah. He was going to say there's some effects in it. That right, so this, yeah, so the special effects. So this time around, I was like, fuck, um, I could compare this quite easily to the thing. I know yeah. the thing's the top in terms of special effects and practical effects, but like that fucking baboon, right. like, which they were so nonchalant about, that really pissed me off. Okay. Like fucking, <laughs> yeah, oh, so, baboon's dead. <laughs> Whatever. It's getting it's out and it's twitching and stuff. Yeah. But that first part when you see the baboon and it's like all the guts and all that sort of stuff, that's great special effects in terms of what you see even in the thing. Yeah. Him at the end of the movie when he's turned into the fly and all those bits and bobs have fallen out of him and he's part of the machine and all this sort of stuff. I think that really does stand up to the end scene in the thing. I, oh, think, yeah. I think there are, you know, I know it's, it's, it's probably still under, but it's fucking up there. 
in oh, terms yeah. I mean, the, 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 the end of transformation fact. scene when his head comes apart and it's got the oh. underneath it's like some of the best effects work i've ever seen i was Definitely. just like it's amazing and you're right it doesn't really get mentioned that much when people talk about practical effects I know, you know like, I don't the, 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 the most insane thing is i was uh, when the film ended obviously i'm skipping i won't we'll go back but when the film ended the the um obviously all the um names come down and i was waiting for special effects and i was like is it gonna come is it gonna actually come and it's like all the actors even all the camera operators even even the catering became before the names came before the special effects eyes and i was like what are you kidding me i could believe it are you sure because i think you might have missed it chris Maybe. wallace is the first name up when it, when it ends yeah it has his name but then literally everyone oh, team, involved. yeah like there's about oh, okay. probably about 25 people that worked on the puppets and stuff and oh, i'm okay. like you haven't even like listed those people that's weird like, i was just uh, yeah i just for me maybe it's because i'm big on special effects but i was like you know i suppose all these camera operators do more of a job because they they do more of the movie but that's that's your kind of that's your money shot it's like, know, maybe that was just considered to be a given back then it's just, yeah, like, yeah. Every, just a general effects geezer yeah yeah it's crazy even the even the the maggot dream the fucking because oh, yeah. that's a dark that is a dark dark storyline <laughs> <laughs> any sense of the word forget about the horror the gore the practical effects the fucking it's just like they've got a at the heart of it and i think this is what moves it to another level in terms of darkness is her the fact that she's pregnant and mm. like getting and wants to get an abortion or doesn't and her conflict dream with yeah. the maggot and stuff coming out is just fucked up yeah. that is just messed up i mean up, that's, that's a horrible prospect to begin with isn't it to think that you might be pregnant by this guy that's turning into a fly <laughs> you know what i mean it looks <laughs> like that so i think he's impregnated you with something so, see the the good thing about this movie is well the, when he didn't know it was the fly, and there was some really really dark. If you if you sort of look at this for the first time you watch it, and when he starts going on about cancerous and tumors and stuff like that, and he's like he's dying. You can see he's dying. The the skin is skin when his skin starts to change and it's only subtle, you know. And he's the stuff. It's like the little hairs on his back, and his face starts to really become quite coarse, and it's like. Yeah, he looks fucking ill, and he look, and it could be, you know, and he come when he comes out um, with the crutches, and you're like, yeah, he could just be dying of uh, um, an outcome of what he did to himself going through there, and it could be he's given himself cancer or leprosy, and he's disintegrating in front of her. Okay, okay, this is really weird. Going back, so obviously we reviewed sea fever. And the times we're in at the moment, and they touch on the fact that it could be passed on. It could be like right. a thing that could be an infection. And mm. that, again, it's just weird to, thinking about that. Mm. Yeah, because he actually says at one point in the dialogue that like, I think I'm just going to disintegrate. I don't mm. know. Yeah, he doesn't have any prospects of just turning into something else. He thinks mm. he's just going to wither away. Like, so, yeah. so cancer people say that Cronenberg at the time was really riff, riffing on the AIDS epidemic that was about mm. which could have been yeah yeah, mm. yeah, yeah definitely probably but what, what, I, what, I, what I really like about this film is like what is 
you notice at the start of this when we started talking, we la laughed at the synopsis when we were talking about what it's about. It, it's such a, a fucking balmy concept of a guy literally turning into a fly. You think, how the hell would you ever pull that off and have it be believable? But no. somehow they manage it. I just, yeah, it's crazy. It's fucking nuts. And I think it's like, it's 86. I think it needs, I think it needs more love. I don't think it's got enough love. Um, um, when you look at, like I said earlier about the Universal Monsters and stuff like that, and you've got the classic, um, but this is a Jekyll and Hyde sort of story, Frankenstein story. It's sort of almost a collective, and it's a classic story. It's not just, it's obviously, it's come from a short story in the 50s and stuff like that, hasn't it, called The Fly? But this is a, this is a classic, a classic horror story. And I think it could be retold and retold and retold again. Um, and I'd love to see it. I'd love to see something, someone retell it, because it is a classic monster story in my in every the like you said it's got the romance as well it's mm. got the decay and it's got the sorrow i just think we need to see some i would i don't know if i want to see a remake or revisioning or something but i want something to happen with this i really back do in, back in 2010 cronenberg said he was going to do a remake himself wow okay Really? But, and that's kind of, I think that's been dead and buried now. Well, see, Cronenberg had an interesting career later on, didn't he? Yeah. Eastern Promises, Eastern Promises? Yeah, yeah, yeah. and, and um, History of Violence and stuff like that. He went from, um, like, that, the horror to sort of ultra-violence, ultra-realistic, and he used his sort of movie then. Yeah, in between, there's a bit of art house as well, I'd say. I'd say what was like, the art house stuff? High high-budget art house, like Naked Lunch. I don't know if you've ever seen Oh, it. okay. Yeah, he yeah. It did, did Crash. Existence. It did Crash? Yes. Well, as in the fucked-up car crash movie with the sex and all that sort of shit. <laughs> oh, fucking hell. I didn't know he was... I did, I, I, I've got that on DVD somewhere. That's worth some money, that, because I tried to locate that recently and you can't get it anywhere, so that's worth quite a bit. It's going for 20 quid on eBay. What? There's me copy. There you go. I'll give you three quid. Whack it in the post. <laughs> <laughs> just, send a, just send me a pin. <laughs> that was my. That was one of my wank movies when I was a teenager. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> it is kind of soccer porn, isn't it? Yeah, I had some. But again, that 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 again. If you're talking lens, this is '90s as well. '96. That has got some. It's that dodgy camera as well. It's a weird movie, and it's it's a fucking. That is a fucked up movie. Yeah, it's it's, it's a shame because I would have liked him seen him do another. Because I would say this is Cronenberg's most accessible work, and it's also it's probably his best film. I would like to have seen him do another sort of pop. Because it is kind of a popcorn movie as well. I'd like to have seen him do one more of those, like a big budget, ho proper horror film. But after this one, he went straight back into doing the indie films with Jeremy, Jeremy Irons and Dead Ringers and stuff. I would like to have seen him do like another kind of like horror extravaganza with big budget yeah. stuff. It's one just the same. One last hurrah. Yeah. And it's, what's, what's weird about this as well is like I've got mates that are not necessarily into horror. And they always try and get in, you know involved and think, oh, we watch something because we know John likes horror and we can chat and that. And I, I make suggestions like, oh, watch The Exorcist or Texas Chainsaw or whatever. And they watch them and they go, that was rubbish or that was boring or you know, or that's not scary. And then now I bang on about this film all the time. And I took it around and we had like a party at Halloween and we whacked this on. And 
that you could hear a pin drop. And then when something gnarly happens, everyone was like, oh my God, oh! And like, the guy turned to me and he went, Jesus, they don't make them like this anymore, do they? And I was like, yes. <laughs> so it, and it, and it shows that even now it stands up, which was I was amazed by because I was expecting everyone to start ribbing on it, you know. Yeah. So I think this is one that needs to get out there and I'm glad we've done it. And I think this one needs to fucking get some audience behind it and get some love, some new love I want to see for the fly. That's what I want to see. Definitely. Um, the other thing I want to talk about, there's one more thing before maybe Matt's facts, is the fucking music. Um, the music's done by Howard Shaw. Um, like he did the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Yeah. And he did Twilight Eclipse as well. I just thought I'd throw that one out there. He did Crash as well. He did do Crash. <laughs> but it, it, it's the music, again, the 80s, it's phenomenal. That title sequence is incredible. Like even when the fly comes up, you've got all that sort of eighties text. That's like the title sequence is 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 eight is the eighties. It's like Robocop. It's like watching Robocop. It's like watching Terminator. It's just fucking there. That is, is yeah. Uh, yeah. how you do a title sequence. It's incredible. So yeah, and even the the score is really good. I've got it on a vinyl. I often listen to it, and I love how. And that classic that sounds like a classic horror sc- score as well it's really bombastic in places as well like when he's just walking down the street it's all like dom, 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 dom. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i love it it's like it elevates the film it's like because it's such a grand score it's like it, it, it elevates it and it's weird for the 80s because it was all synth music back then predominantly and this is a proper orchestra and stuff yeah yeah i love that music it's great loved it absolutely loved it Right, do we want, is there anything else anyone wants to talk about before we go on to Matt's Facts? No? Oh, one more thing I've wrote on my notes. Is David Cronenberg the master of the exploding head? Because there's another great explosion, head explosion at the end of this. But when, he, when she shoots him with a shotgun? Yeah, it's quite and that's heroin. That, that's <laughs> heroin. She, and she sells it. She sells it so well. Right, really does sell it, and and I suppose we haven't talked about the fact that he's thrown up on the guy's hand and oh, ankle. True. Yeah, and, it's quite annoying. Wait, I mean, like, and to end the film like that, it's quite. You got to have some big balls, haven't you? Really, it's quite a depressing note to end on. Like, I'd like, I'd, I'd like a little like mini movie on how that guy rehabilitates himself. <laughs> no, yeah. arm, no, he comes back in the fly too. And yeah, he's like, he's like he's like a drunk with no arm and no leg, and he's really pissed off. <laughs> just have like a mini kind of like twenty-minute kind of film. How he kind of right. gets to that point? It'd be awesome. Really depressing, yeah. but if you get yeah, but yeah, that I when like she, the fly too. The only thing yeah, is I like that, the fly too. I think it's good. But, um, you have to make that decision. She's like toying with it. She's like, oh, I can't shoot you in the face, but look at him. I know. <laughs> Look and at, at him. At that moment as well, it, it then flips again because he goes from being a monster yet again to back to being a human because he's in pain and he just wants to end his life. And you actually feel, you're like, holy oh, shit, this is, this is it. Yeah. You know? I mean, yeah. it's fucked up, man. It's, it's, so it's weird. Up. Don't you find it weird as well? Because like, even though it's like a, a monstrosity and it's a, a it's, it's this grotesque fly, even when you look in its eyes and its face, somehow they make you feel really sorry for it. Right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he's pretty sympathetic all the way up until the point when he's like, "I want to combine 
you and the baby and me all together in the same body. That's the bit when it jumps the shark and you're a bit like, hang on a minute, like, yeah, you've gone too far now. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I didn't, I didn't. I didn't agree with his science at that stage. Um, not a big body count either, which is surprising. Mm. You know? No, just the one, just the you flight. Just you, yeah, you don't even notice it though, either. You don't even no. notice it. Not many deaths. Good movie, fucking great movie. What you got, Matt? Matt's facts. Yeah, I got, I got a couple of facts. So, um, talking about kills, there was another kill scripted, but it wasn't actually. Uh, filmed or put in at the end in the end product so basically there was a scene where the, he kills a cat uh, by a dumpster and then yeah. the lady catches him and then he, he pukes on the lady apparently and, and kills her and starts eating her and it literally <laughs> 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 it's never put in the film I thought that sounds quite cool because oh, <laughs> on the Blu-ray there is some interesting deleted scenes where it's is like a um, a stage that's completely cut out of the film. There's like another transformation stage. And I think they ru- they rushed it and you can tell it's rushed. It's not, it's quite amateurish compared to the rest of the quality of the film. And he's experimenting on a baboon and a cat. That's correct, yeah. Yeah, and he puts them both in the telepods and he joins a cat and a baboon together. And when he lets it out, it attacks it. And then that's he beats right. it to death with a metal pole. That's right. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then he climbs up on the roof. And then falls off, and a, and, a, and a fly's arm comes out of his side, and then he bites it off. That's right. <laughs> Amazing. Mental. Oh, yeah. Absolutely mental. Oh, I like yeah. to have seen it, but it's just, I'm glad it's not in the film because it's not up to par. That's a good match, man. Yeah. <laughs> so, all those prosthetics that obviously was on old Jeff um, took, uh, took about five hours. I thought it would have been more, to be fair. Yeah. Five hours long. And they, they cost, uh, they cost, they weighed about five pounds, uh, the costume, so it's quite heavy. I like this, Typhoon the Baboon. Apparently, he was a bit crazy because um, he had a, a kind of like, a, a, what would you call it, a handler, a wrangler, a baboon wrangler. But um, he was pretty uh, off the chain. So there's a point where he's in the pod and a load of flashing lights went off and he smashed the door open. And literally, because there's only like the Wrangler, and obviously Jeff Goldblum was so big, between the both of the two of them, they managed to contain the baboon from going crazy. And well, um, it's a bitty alpha male. Yeah, and well, basically, it's weird because he it kind of formed this relationship with Jeff Goldblum, so right. he kind of had respect for him. And they were like, <laughs> it's just a good job that there wasn't loads of like female people on set because this uh. baboon was reckless. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they say it was quite terrifying being around that thing. They didn't that like it. A fucking I bet. <laughs> man. I, mean, I, didn't, I didn't wish anything. I mean, I don't know why they picked a baboon at the end of the day, but fuck right. it. You know, usually it's just a monkey, but like <laughs> baboons are arseholes, man. It's normally, like, it's normally a poor little chimp, isn't it? But yeah. yeah. Um, Mal Brooks was a producer on this. I didn't yeah. even know this. Max yeah. Brooks. Mal Mal Brooks. Brooks. Mel Brooks. Yeah. Yes. Spaceballs. Uh, yeah. He, he, <laughs> he apparently wanted to make it quiet because he wasn't quite sure how the film was going to turn out. But when he saw the finished product, he was at the premiere handing out dealie boppers to people in the crowd. <laughs> quite funny. 
Yeah, it's yeah. Like Mel Brooks gets involved in, in horror at times. So he, he did, as I say, with the Lynch marathon I had recently, he did The Elephant Man with David Lynch as well. Really? Yeah. Bloody hell. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, also, up for the role of Seth, um, three people were up for that role. John Lithgow, that would have been completely different. Weird. Yeah, that would have been weird. Um, Michael weird. Keaton. <laughs> Michael so... So you're saying John Lithgow, right? So both of them were in Buckaroo Bonsai, weren't they? BFG. Oh, yeah. John La- John Lithgow yeah. was the um, one of the aliens in Buckaroo Bonsai. I love Buckaroo Bonsai. <laughs> and Mal Gibson, but he couldn't do it because he was doing Lethal Weapon. Mel Gibson. Yeah. <laughs> How weird would that have been? He's got the weirdest one though, because he's not, as you say, he's not even that attractive, is he? So nah, he's got the hair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, the fly's vomit was made of honey, eggs, and milk all mixed together. Um, and um, did everybody spot David Cronenberg? Yes. Go on, John. He's the, he's the, uh, the doctor doing when she's giving birth in the dream sequence. know. Yeah, but he's got the face mask. <laughs> That's right, yeah. Which I thought was interesting. He's right That's between Gina's legs. There was loads more. Thousands. Absolutely. Yeah. Wicked. Oh, thanks for that, Matt. Right. Rating it then. Um, Let's put it to our guest first. Yeah, go on, John. What you got? Oh, um, it's it's a powerhouse of a film. It's 10 out of 10 in my book. It's a classic. Probably being one of my top 10 horror films of all time. Right there. So, yeah, 10, 10 breaths. I'll give it out of 10. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I was blown away this time. And it's, um, it's certainly good. I think it's a 10. I think it's um, it's up there with the thing, in terms of in terms of practical effects. I don't think I think somebody needs to shoot me down because I think it's fucking phenomenal, yeah. and I loved it. I absolutely loved it, and I watch it again and again. I think it's brilliant. Mm. I, you, I basically um, say to people out there, come 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 at me if you think it's lower than a ten. <laughs> it's it's got to be it, it's way up there. Um, just the the fact of Jeff Goldblum alone with his performance, just the way he becomes it, and in the way he just in the end he kind of just accepts it. It's yeah. just like, well, I'm a fly, you know, fuck it, deal with it. Um, uh, but only literally at the point where he finds out that he is going to be a father, it kind of all turns a little bit weird. Mm. Yeah. Um, but down to the performances, storyline, effects out of this world for the time um yeah 10 out of 10 all, all day nice all day yeah i'm i'm happy that drawing last breath 10 out of 10 i can't i, I didn't expect that when mm. i was going into it i must admit i i was thought i was going to be watching a different movie but i was fucking blown away you know what i even played the little blu-ray game where you swap the fly off <laughs> <That's terrible>. <laughs> <laughs> i thought i'd have a go <laughs> Awesome. Right then. Um, so now we've got to go to John, who's yeah. going to pick our movie from the vault for next episode. I'm well, I'm well excited for this one. Okay. Um, if you've already seen it, though, because I told you I've got two in mind, I might retract one and give you the other one I'm thinking of, because the other one I'm thinking of, I know you haven't seen. Right. So first up, have you seen a film called Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer? I haven't. I have not. I haven't well, seen it. I'll, Okay, we go with that one. 
done. Oh. I'm not going to say, yeah, I'm not going to say too much about it, but I'm Michael Rooker. to hear your thoughts, yes. Michael Rooker, that is. Oh, Matt, we're going to have to hunt for that. Yeah. What do you think? I got it on Blu-ray. It should be available on Blu-ray. Yeah, uh, yeah. Hopefully, it'll come in the two weeks. But yeah, I'm up for that. Oh, Henry, yeah. Henry, I've been meaning to see that for ages. Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. Mm. Mm, that's a fucking interesting one. That's not 80s, is it? That's early 90s. Uh, no, you're. That's actually incorrect. It was made in 1986. Oh, it, really? it was shelved until 1990 because nobody knew how to distribute it. Oh, it, really? it, wow! It was quite controversial at the time. So, oh, I'm really, oh, now I'm even look, more looking <laughs> wow, forward to it. Look wow. at that! Because, yeah. Um, yeah, we haven't really had. I mean, they released it eventually with a load of cuts, and since then it's been uncut. But mm. at the time, it's quite censored quite heavily. Wow. I mean, I've heard some good things about it, like Rooker. I mean, come on, that's that's got. But the funny happens. thing, I wouldn't say it's it's not it's not exactly like brain dead in terms of its splatter. It's just a very atmospheric film, I'd say, you know. Yeah. Cool. I'm well excited. All right. Cheers for that, John. So uh, we got to say thank you for, for coming on board. Um, thank we obviously, you for our logo. Thank you for our logo. Um, and it's been... The logo we've got is obviously Dan and John. Yes, yeah. Anytime. It's been a pleasure. I've really enjoyed it. It's been it's been good fun. This yes, yeah, good. It's, this is not going to be the last time you're going to be on. You know that now. <laughs> yeah, no, hopefully, yeah. And I'll give you my other pick next time. Yeah, because honestly, it's like yeah, really good chat. Like you got you got some serious knowledge, and it's been fucking really interesting. Like listening to your opinion. Nice having some cool. serious knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try to retain my excitement a little bit next time. <laughs> A bit carried away. <laughs> no, we're, we're in a safe place. Don't worry. <laughs> All right, cool. So um, I guess that leaves us with like on our next episode, we're going to try and do the wretched, which I'm looking forward to. Something to scream about. We've got another special treat um, coming our way, and our move from the vault. John's just pulled Henry portrait <laughs> of a serial killer, which I'm fucking very looking forward to. I guess uh, there's only one more thing to say. John? When there's no more room left in hell, there's another podcast. I am the devil, and I am here to do the devil's work. You can follow us on Twitter at DrawOneLast, Instagram at DrawOneLastBreath, or pop us an email at DrawOneLastBreathPod at Hotmail.com. <laughs>